They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. So you touch this, you touch the mercury mirror and it's like, well, I don't have anyone. Totally. You got it. So something that is coming up in my research right now that is really intense and it's just blowing my mind that you guys invited me to do this research because it jumped right out of the Transformers and it started just dominating all the symbols in my uh, in my perspective is uh, the mother of the Sphinx. Let me pull this in. You notice that the Sphinx are down below, right? These hybrid chimera animals, they're all underneath this, uh, this person who's in a knight's suit of armor which is a theme definitely for all of the uh, Transformers. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. So, the full metal alchemist, bro. <laughs> yes. Oh, I think, oh I shit. Think... He's got the, the armor like Elon. I, I think that the, I think there's, <laughs> I think the chariot card is so crucial, especially, and I hate to say it, but the curly deck, the way yeah. it, he's the full metal alchemist. And that's what I think that they're hinting at with that, that orb he's got in the middle. He's literally like birthing reality or something. Like he's got know. the think, metal armor on too. That's, yeah, it's a full metal. Yeah. yeah. That's what Transformers is all about, right? They got like the armor and they literally, and when they make the movies, they, they literally film a fictional thing on a, a, a factual highway or whatever. And that's like what they're known for. Like if they say that they're at the Washington Bridge or whatever bridge, they're there. You know, a lot of places they go to sets or they do, but Transformers, when they film, they film on site at the actual place. So again, I think it's uh, they're mirroring realities and, and transmuting fiction into reality. That's, I, I fucking love that type of uh, interdimensional talk. Welcome back to another episode of the one-on-one podcast. I'm your host as always. You know where to find me at the one-on-one podcast. Make sure to check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash the one-on-one podcast, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, whatever, all that shit, all the stuff that they use to mine your energy and drain you of it. But here we are. We are going to be doing another episode. Unfortunately, we did have a cancellation today. So this episode is actually kind of sort of impromptu. Maybe we cheated a little bit because we, well, not we, but the, the gentleman with, with me know about the subject. And it's something that I've talked about before a little bit, but I wanted to do an episode straight on the chariot card because it resonates with me. And I think it's very important when it comes to our perceived reality, if you will, right? With this full metal alchemist and 
people have to understand that any transference of energy, any transmutation of energy, any transformation of energy is alchemy. And I think that they're practicing alchemy on us real time. So here we are to decode it with Mario from Symbolic Studies and Gabe from Slick Dissident. What's up, guys? Hey, buddy. It's nice to be here, man. I love this card, so there is absolutely no shortage of things to talk about with it. And Gabe, can you guys plug your stuff, Mario? Where can people find your great channel? I know you do some deep dives, and you're literally in the Symbolic Studies, so... That's right. Yeah, you can find my stuff at SymbolicStudies.com. I'm all over the place. I'm on YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, things like that. Uh, if you like my information, you can definitely hit me up for a uh, tarot reading. It's mm -hmm. what I do all the time for people. I do study sessions, things like that. But uh, right now I'm working on a project. I think I'm going to try out some longer form content. So I'm making a, a decent sized video at the moment, which I'm pretty stoked about. There you go, but, bro. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a good time. But yeah, SymbolicStudies.com. Gabe? Right on. Yeah, Slick Dissident on YouTube. Uh, that's my main spot. Uh, I call, I've call. i referred to my channel as the shared learning experience. Uh, and I also get down with the Weaving Spiders webs. And I'm oftentimes over there with Chance Garten on the Interverse podcast. You can catch us on Rockfin. Uh, so yeah, those are my main haunts. And I've been getting down with Juan a lot lately, man. We have a good old time here. We got some great stuff coming out. I'm really excited about some of these projects we've been doing. Yeah, at the time of this recording, it'll be out next mid next month. But yes, for for the patrons, the patrons get it weeks ahead of time. So if you if you're craving the the content, I put out multiple episodes weeks ahead of time on my patreon you can find on their early access exclusive content and i want you on the next dopamine deep dives with us gay because and mario too because we, we we do these things where we go on real time and we dig up a topic like i love it because i use it as a mental exercise to help develop that mind palace and fill the the shelves up with these little trinkets that that are just aligning the walls. Cause I, when I think of an idea or a topic, I think of it as a, like a toy, uh, but more of made of words and thoughts, right? Where you manipulate it, you, you play with it and you put it back on the shelf. Doesn't mean I believe it hundred percent. Cause that's another thing. Just cause I talk about these certain type of things. Doesn't mean I believe it hundred percent. You know, I'm talking about flat earth or worshiping Satan. It doesn't mean I worship Satan and believe all that stuff. I'm talking about it from a scholarly place as possible right from from a professional place with a little bit of humor dick jokes thrown in there homunculus jokes <laughs> thrown in there all that good stuff because you can't take yourself too seriously right that's that's an also also another part of the truther community where they take themselves too seriously and they, and they get married to an idea and that's the reason we're here in the first place because we were we had ideologies pushed on us when we were growing up and we wanted to break out of that matrix so you go from that to then pushing your own ideologies and your own things on other people it shouldn't be like that. You know what I'm saying? Like we need to come together and, and love each other, you know, don't be a piece of shit. So here we are. And I'm going to pull up this. I have this book that I, cause I, I, what I did was I restored a, the tarot of Manly P hall and Augusta snap. And mm. I bought all these books trying to find <laughs> what I was actually trying to do was trying to find high quality high res images of the, the art because it's very old. The original deck came out in 1929. A, the deck was going for $700 on eBay, like a used copy of it. I was like, I like 
it. I want to get it, but I don't know if I'm going to pay 600 bucks for it because then I'm not going to want to touch it. So I ended up buying all this stuff, trying to find high res images. I couldn't. So what I ended up doing was I ended up finding some mediocre res images and I AI enhanced them. So all the mixing pixels and lines and all these things, I photoshopped every single one. I had to do it. was like a long process. So it's kind of spe it's special to me because it was I, I was able to by photoshopping and manipulating the art a little bit. I was able to really study it. I was really able to look at all the cards because I had to do it for the entire, what is it, 78 cards or something like that? The entire tarot deck. And I ended up printing it. And it is a standard size deck. So the cards aren't the big, the big, oh, look at the tarot car, the, the, the chariot, the car that we're going to be talking about today. It's not your typical size tarot deck. It is the standard size. This is bridge size. It's actually not uh, the original size. The original deck was actually uh, cut, straight cut. It was squared corners. It wasn't rounded corners. So I did like a little bit of an update. But point being is that the art came out great. It was AI enhanced. And I got a new camera so I can really get in there and get all the nice details. So I AI enhanced it. And I went ahead and I printed them out. And I have the whole deck, right? But I went one by one and all these cards, one by one, enhance, enhance all of them, sharpen them all, and I ended up printing them. So here we are. And I have this book where it shows me to study the tarot. It shows me the Manly Hall t uh, chariot card, and then it shows me eight other versions of it. So I'm going to share that now. I went ahead and I scanned it up let me but yeah it's funny that i was using ai to enhance it right ai is going to be the death of all of us but here we are and they look great man yeah i'm really happy with how it came out i got I'm... i dig that deck that looks cool as hell all right so here we are this is a book i got and this this lady's actually in orlando and i thought about having her on but i don't know but this book is called a study of a study of ancient tarot wisdom featuring an analysis of tarot cards by Manly P. Hall and excerpt excerpts from Oracle of the Tarot by Paul Foster Case. And it includes images from nine of the earliest tarot decks. And it's by a lady named Teresa Mayville MSCD, I guess. And she's in she's actually in Orlando, so she's in my town. I haven't hit her up. I thought about it, but here's this. You can get it on Amazon. It's one of my books. And I went ahead and I scanned the page. So it tells you the, a little bit about the card, right? And you can take notes and the meanings and all that stuff. And I'll let Mario get into that later because he's the one that actually does readings for people. But then it shows me the different versions of the chariot card from some other decks. One, two, three, four. There's eight decks. That's gangster as hell. So we have so you the, can see the evolution of it. Yeah, the Rider White, right? That's the one of the other most famous ones. And then we have over here, I think this is the oldest one over here, or one of these is probably old. But yeah, you can see the evolution of it, right? Dang, that is yeah, cool. Absolutely. So cool. So that's that, and it does it for every single tarot card as well. So it'll go through the entire tarot, and it'll show you eight different cards. And the one that we don't have on here, which is the one that really piqued my interest, is the Crowley one. Uh, that's the one that I feel 
And I've that's actually Ophiuchus veiled. It is Ophiuchus in the metal suit of armor. And I was just on with Cheney not long ago, and we got a little bit into actually a great episode, episode 120 coming out. It'll be out before this, but check that out. And we got into mimetic, mimetic occultism, cinemagicians, all the good stuff. And she was talking about nice. how maybe these suits of armors back then were some sort of walking automata, right? Animated through the use of some sort of magic, which we see that in the my one of my favorite animes. Another reason why we're doing the, the chariot is because the Full Metal Alchemist is one of my favorite animes. <laughs> and the Japanese, bro... The Koreans, all these Asian countries over there, they are so occult with their stuff. The I don't know if you guys have seen on Netflix the movie Homunculus. And this and it's a movie by Netflix about how a homunculus is an entity that attaches itself to people. So like a demonic entity that attaches itself to people and it wreaks havoc on their psyche. So if you have a certain depression because of a trauma, that's a homunculus attached to you. And the main character, spoiler, is able to see this when they drill a hole in his head right here, the third eye. And he's able to perceive all these things on people and he's able to expel them from people. Again, the movie's really dark because there is rape and stuff in it. So just a disclaimer. But if you want to go down that rabbit hole and watch it, it was actually, aside from the raping, was a pretty good movie. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not I'm not down with the rapists. I'm not down with that stuff. So... Here we are. Where do you want to start, Mario? Because I know you, you've you done a video on this because that's what your channel is all about. And that's why I had to have you on here. And then the person that really I started talking about tarot with for the very first time on my show was actually with Gabe. He was the one that introduced me with his tarot Tories and the connection of it. And the idea that the elites or the lizard people, whoever they are, are using this imagery as and they want to emulate it for whatever reason. You know, they talk about the original Bible being, you know, deriving from uh, the, the book of Revelations, right? Being tarot cards. I, I was reading that today. Uh, it was tarot cards or something like that. Uh, the original books were sheets of paper. So that's where the card originates from. And by, again, using these mandalas or whatever you want to call sigils, whatever you want to call it, they're able to transport their consciousness to other higher levels, other dimensions. And then it, when it gets interdimensional, my nipples get really hard. When it gets, <laughs> when it gets to that point, I'm like, Oh, you know what I'm saying? Like it really just perks me up. So Mario, Gabe, when do you take it away? I'm talking too much. Let's get to it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, you know what? Let's just start with the basics, right? What does it um, mean? Where do you, where did it originate? Yeah, you, I know you have all that information, right? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, so the tarot is broken up into two basic sections, the minor arcana and the major arcana. You know, in my opinion, the major arcana, um, those are the greater secrets versus the lesser secrets. And the major arcana is more like a story. To me, it's very much symbolic of spirit that way. I think more in terms of like a spiral or a circle versus the minor arcana because they're broken up into four suits, the four elements. I almost look at those as like the four pillars Right, that maybe holds up the uh, the heavens, if you will, and some of that symbolism is actually literally in the chariot card itself, right? But the chariot card is the seventh card in the major arcana, and when it comes to the number seven, as we've all riffed on before, there is just so much going on there; it's absolutely unbelievable. So you know, um, it would stand to reason that 
the card that associates with the number seven encodes all of the things that um, you know we know number seven to represent. And sure enough, that is absolutely the case with this card. Um, it's really fascinating to me that the symbolism of the charioteer, you know, there is definitely an obfuscation going on. There is a hidden element going on with this figure, the charioteer, because a lot of the times he's actually cut from the waist down. And so that's kind of one of the mysteries that you'll notice is that you do not see his legs generally. Or, uh, as we will talk about, you know, in the Crowley version of the card, he's wearing complete armor. And so you actually cannot see any part of him. You can't see any skin. Right. So notice that uh, with these cards, you can't see the legs of the charioteer. And I've made several videos related to the chariot card and cancer symbolism and everything else. And one of the threads I was pulling at is that there's a line of mythology with serpentine people, you know. Um, and so sometimes they have like a human torso and body and head and arms and everything. But their legs are actually snakes, right? They have snakes for legs, which reminds me quite a bit, right, of like Abraxas. Uh, there's this Greek king. His name is Erichthonius. And I think that, you know, Abraxas, Erichthonius, some of these figures not only are they related to chariot symbolism, uh, they're related uh, to this line of thinking that there are deities or archetypal figures that have serpentine legs. And so mm -hmm. what is that all about? You know, the idea with Eric Thonius is that he actually uh, designed or invented, there's two variations of his story, that he either designed or invented the first chariot in general, the first uh, horse-pulled chariot, or the first four horse chariot which is called the quadriga and so they say that he needed um a contraption like this a vehicle to get around because of his legs and that it served two purposes one it allowed him to get around and then two it covered up his legs which was a source of shame because he was abandoned by his parents for being a freak essentially so i think those are all really fascinating connections that i think about just off the top of my head, but I got a whole page of notes here with other stuff too. And I wanted to point out really quick. Did you, did you catch, look at this one. It's the horses. Do they have wings? And then she's like wings. It's yep. a woman, definitely a woman. And she like blends in to the background, almost like a cloak of some sorts. And like, do they have, do these things have horns? Let me check. No, they don't have horns. They kind of look like a horn here for a second. But this, this one's really interesting. This one got a crown. Yep. I wonder. Do you know what deck this is by any chance? Yeah, it's called a uh, Visconti Forza, something along those lines. I have this deck. It's a classic deck. So that's Ooh. all gold foil um, that you'll see, like in real life. It shimmers. Interesting. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah. That, that was Visconti Forza. Yeah, we'll bring Would up you... Crowley here soon. Does she sure. have a elongated skull? Looked like she had a pretty big dome piece there. She's got a crown of some sorts, but I don't know if it's elongated. I mean... Kind of mm. makes me think of the Deesti family. Uh, the Deestis uh, publicly, uh, in their portraits, they proudly displayed their elongated skulls. And the Deesti yeah, the Estee Lauder, you know, mm -hmm. they're still they're still in play big time. They're part of the cult of the tall king heads. You know, um, that's funny you bring this up because this whole entire deck, the artwork, all of the people have huge, gigantic foreheads. 
and receding hairlines even the oh, women wow. so that's just part of the artwork there um with all In- of the figures interesting so here is the and i'll pull up some images because gabe and i are going to be doing a deep dive on on star wars soon but this is this is what really set it off for me on this yeah this set this card has has taken me so many places because it started on episode 80 it started on episode 80 with gabe and homie romy where we were talking about we were de-occulting transformers mm-hmm Oh right! Your, oh man, that was the I first that time one. that we ever podcasted together, and I manifested you too because I was talking to Mark a couple days before, and I was like, "Hey, I want to do an episode with this guy." Yeah, and I was gonna do an episode with Homie Romy. Homie Romy was like, "Hey, I'm gonna bring my friend Gabe on with me. So, is it cool if he comes?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, whatever." And when you came on, I had recognized you. And I was like, wait a minute. Didn't you do an episode with so-and-so with Michael Wan and Mark? And you're like, yeah. I was like, that, it boom. It was a synchronicity at the moment. And then when you, we got into the whole thing with the suit of armor and you connected a bunch of dots, you, you blew, that, that episode really changed. Like that shifted paradigm. So check it Guess out. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm back on with Mark tomorrow. Oh, really? So there For you the go. First time since then. So this is an amazing weave back. That's cool. There you go. But it started with this particular card. And I hate Crowley, by the way. And I'm going to pull up some <laughs> other some other art that I've done that I've sent to you, Mario, because I was watching Yu-Gi-Oh! Yep. the other day with mm-hmm. my son. And, of course, the chariot symbolism came up in that. We're watching Star Wars. The chariot symbolism came up in that. And here we are. This is why I want to do this episode, because I'm really excited to, get, to dig in. So I'll, I'll, I'll shut the fuck up. I I remember from our Transformers that almost all of the Transformers movies came out under the sign of cancer. And that was a huge, powerful sink. There was, there was one rogue episode that I think is actually like a standalone. Yeah. With Bumblebee. And that one was actually 180 degrees on the Zodiac. It's down in uh, Capricorn. So it's, uh, it has that, uh, propinquity correspondence being on opposite sides of the wheel but yeah very appropriate that all the transformers are chariots uh i mean just so appropriate did you want to share your screen mario you know what if you just want to pull up the card again for now yeah yeah because there's just uh just looking at the card itself and just getting into the basics with the artwork and you know, some of the other stuff that seven represents and everything else. There's a lot to chat about, um, you know, so seven to me, there's a transformative quality with the number seven definitely represents to me, at least cycles and time, which this card very much is in line with. Um, I think that any kind of vehicle, um, any way of actually traveling, I think can pretty much be corresponded with this card. So, you know, in a lot of these cards, you're going to see horses, right? Obviously, we're dealing with the chariot. Um, It looks like Crowley's playing around with the locomotive sort of symbolism subliminally with the stacks, right? Which traditionally, you know, in other decks, it'll just be, you know, the four pillars holding up kind of like a canopy that looks like the stars or the firmament or what have you, you know? So I think car symbolism is appropriate. Um, Gabe, I know you've mentioned uh, the UFO being appropriate too in uh, corresponding with this card. I completely agree with you. 
And actually, it's really funny because, you know, just in the digital age, I think the modern chariot, I've said this before, uh, might very well actually be the office chair. And so it has that. wheels and, you know, <laughs> it's uh, you are only moving, you know, just a matter of inches or feet. Right. And so symbolically in the modern world, I think in a lot of ways, the office chair is the new vehicle. Right. Because you are online. You know, that's what you're doing. That's, that's what most people spend their time doing and they're sitting down doing it. Right. Yeah, man. That is so powerful because you get a sense of of accomplishment in mm-hmm. with hours and hours of just sitting in one place. And right. that is so profound to the modern day experience. It's so profound. I'd love that you say that, Mario. That is so on point. <laughs> and can I add on to you mentioned the locomotive symbolism well i think when i think of locomotives when the the burning the steam the coal i think of alchemy the transmuting of one thing into another again what i said at the beginning the transference of energy from one form to the next is a sort of alchemy so by incorporating and look at all these shows thomas the train and all these things right well, the the Roadrunner, there was like they had a lot of trains in that, right? Where he would hit him, he would get hit. The tunnel, right? And then the train would go through the tunnel, but then when he would try to run through it, it would it would just be a solid wall. So I think the train symbolism, I think it's a, a hint at that alchemical process of the blackening and the reburning and just the constant cycle, the the phoenix, the rebirth. And very yep, interesting yep. connection with the chair because people the leaders of this country literally manifest our realities. They, they run the country from a throne, from a chair. And then the whole mm-hmm. gluing themselves to the throne the other day that we did uh, slick dissident and, and I with uh, UNESCO, we did the uh, political, a political Enneagram deep dive and how that symbolizes the chariot as well. Nice. Nice. I definitely have some more thoughts regarding this card, uh, but uh, Slick, if you have anything that you want to throw out there, feel free. Man, yes. Um, so, and it might sound like review for Juan because we did touch on this with Carla. Um, but, you know, uh, one thing that uh, just occurred to me today getting ready for the show is uh, you guys have probably heard the statistic that um, so we agree that Auriga is the charioteer and Auriga has direct correspondence to Hephaestus, the god of the forge and Vulcan, the god of the volcano. So the god of the forge craft the chariot, is the crafty one who made the chariot, makes all the weapons of the Greek gods, uh, and does so in the forge, which is the volcano. Um, specifically, Mount Etna is a very popular uh, volcano for the for the Hephaestus Ariga character. But have you guys heard that uh, that random statistic that a single volcano can put out more carbon emissions in a single eruption than the whole planet of cars yeah. in a year. I've heard about that. Okay. So now we have direct correspondence between the volcano causing more global warming than what they're going to tell the individual. Then now you got to go buy Teslas and electric cars and they're going to trigger your guilt complex. They're going to make you feel shameful which is, I think, the shame uh, component is uh, really uh, key to the Ariga character. He's shameful because of his legs, because he needs the, a chariot to compensate for his for his wound, for his injury. 
So they're going to trigger the collective through their shame and blame them for having their uh, gasoline-fueled engine car when, in fact, a single volcano does more than the whole world in, in one blow. So I think that's very important that we keep in mind that while we're talking about cars we, uh, the, and the global warming agenda starts to roll out, our, there is a powerful argument that you can just pass it on to Vulcan. Hephaestus, Ariga yeah. is actually the culprit of global warming. So I think nice. that's something we should really think about as they throttle that trigger button going forward. Wow. And, you know, back, you're blowing my mind because the founders of Florida – they were real big on, obviously they were robber barons. They were building trains back to the locomotive symbolism, which I related to alchemy, but also they were on the whole steam. Uh, Henry, Henry Plant, HP, was the guy who helped innovate and push the steam engine and go from dirty to from dirty energy to clean energy. So you have, again, the blackening to the whitening, the, the alchemical process so you have to, in order to create the Philosopher's Stone. And we simply think of the movie The Snowpiercer, which we, I'm sure we've all oh. seen it. Great movie. But yeah, dude, I never thought about that connection with global warming, Vulcan, and it would make sense why certain religions worship the volcanoes. They saw them as gods. There are certain vile vortices, these areas around the world where they're centered around volcanoes and volcanoes. I think they even cause lightning and all this sort of stuff to strike. Yep. And sprites, volcanoes uh, generate uh, sprites, which uh, they have another name. There's like, I forget, lightning sprites or something like that. But yeah, that's, that's another common volcano phenomenon. And, uh, you know, uh, Sigmund Freud, whose name is getting more and more interesting the more I look at it, Sigmund is the signs world. It's a world of signs. It's a symbolic world. And that's totally what we're breaking down here. But he wrote a book that I I haven't finished reading, um, Moses and Monotheism. And Sigmund Freud was a Jewish fella. And he put his he put his name on the line, and he said that he believes that Yahweh is a volcano god. And uh, I have taken uh, the the in my territories work, Hawaii is uh, very correspondent with the moon card, but the the word Hawaii in reverse is Yahweh. So Yahweh and Hawaii are volcanoes confirming very powerfully what Freud put forward, that Yahweh is a volcano god. In a certain light, there's arguments to, you know, in certain cultures, in certain time frames, there's an exception. But generally speaking, Yahweh is Vulcan. That's awesome. I love it, dude. Very, very interesting. Um, The fact that you mentioned Hephaestus is also very appropriate because I don't know if you recall, uh, but this king that I brought up that I've made videos about who had uh, serpentine legs, who was abandoned. Yeah. His father is actually Hephaestus. Oh yeah. (laughs) Hephaestus wanted to sleep with Athena. She basically turned him down, but he spilled his seed on the ground. So literally this Greek King, Eric Thonius is the product of the, um, the semen of Hephaestus 
and literally mother he's a homunculus bro (laughs) you can't be dropping that knowledge on here mario because that's that's a paracelsian idea paracelsian monsters that you the only place you're to deposit your seed is in the womb of a woman and if you even have any lustful thoughts whatsoever the only way to combat combat that even if you're not inserting yourself into anything or spilling your seed anywhere you need to be castrated so that was the whole thing with Paracelsus and castration, because that's how radical he was. That he was like, we can't even think about this. Even if you get blue balls, it doesn't matter if you don't do anything with it. You need to be castrated in order to stop that from deforming you. Because when the seed putrefies within your body, you will rot from the inside out. So again, back to this deformity. Maybe they thought that's what syphilis was or something, where people somebody had blue balls too much. We know we now know it's not the truth. But interesting point that you bring that up because the mandrake, right? This this plant that looks like a person, they were used back then, and there people put teeth on them, and people there was a market for them, and people would put them under their bed for good luck. They said that you would get money from it. Maybe that's where the original tooth fairy comes from, but it came from the sperm of a hung man when they were hung upside down or when they were hung by their neck, and obviously you die with an erection. Uh, wherever the sperm would fall that would grow this mandrake plant that looks like a little person. So, dude, you can't be dropping homunculus on here. I'm the homunculus daddy. You can't be <laughs> coming on here on my turf and bringing up homunculus without saying it, bro. Homunculus confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the uh, the whole idea, too, of a serpentine person um, having serpent legs from the waist down, the fact that the charioteer... Um, generally is never seen from the waist down too. I think there is a subliminal thing about men having a serpent below the waist. I think there is symbolism that overlaps here with all of that. Um, but I just pulled up some Erichthonius images and I'd love to get your guys' take. If you've never seen these before, uh, it's pretty wild to check out. It kind of, it blew me away once I started um, diving into all of this information. All right, let me know when you're ready and I'll pull it up. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. So let me know when you can see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So oh, here's uh, baby Erichthonius. You can see his serpentine legs. Uh, the mythology goes is that he was abandoned, put in a basket, sent down a river. Kind of sounds familiar. Yeah. And uh, he was raised by some women who came across him. And uh, the idea was that they said that they wanted to put him in a basket because he was such an abomination that people would go crazy looking at his body. And so he was protected that way. And so this could be symbolically the reason why, you know, the Crowley version of the card, he's wearing armor and you can't see any part of him. Um, And then there's a lot of paintings out there actually showing this little scene of Erichthonius in the basket. And these are all cropped and zoomed in so you guys can check them out better. But here's just another version. Bro, you're making me connect so, so you're making me connect so many dots, bro. What if? Hear me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hear me out. Right. Right. This this episode's going to be amazing cuz I can already see the craziness that I, that we're going to come up with. Yeah. All right, so we're talking about being occulted. We're talking about being veiled. And maybe mm-hmm. perhaps the idea that maybe Abraxas was using the what if the snakes, at least in my comic book, 
in my in the the chosen Juan, Abraxas, because we do have an Abraxas in here. Abraxas, he has the tentacles have mouths. And mm. the mouths, uh, part of the lure is that they they talk shit to him, right? And we'll find that out later. But they 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 talk a bunch of stuff. And it brings me to the whole what if these serpents or something divinated to Moses, right? With the serpents. Mm -hmm. This story is very similar to Moses, but then I'm I'm gonna Absolutely. take I'm gonna take it a step further because we're talking about the golden armor. Well, who was occulted? Who was veiled? And who had a golden a golden thigh? Pythagoras. Right. Daddy Pythagoras. Daddy Pythagoras was occulted and only the initiated were able to see behind the veil. Mm -hmm. And you needed to take a vow of silence for five years. Well, what if, I'm not saying that he had some sort of snakes for legs, but what if he had some sort of thing that was actually doing the teaching right the the you know what i'm saying like i'm, I'm gonna take it there i'm gonna speculate because this is a very weird they they're talking about how he was omnipresent or what if he, what if he didn't have legs and he and he had a golden legs and there was some sort of talisman and that's why he was right. able to divinate and do all the things that he was able to tell the future he was also prophesized you know the the oracle of delphi prophesized about him being this great person who's going to bring change to the world. So it makes you start mm. connecting all these dots of why was he behind a veil? Was he just deformed or, Oh, you know what, what is it about it? The Mithraic mysteries, or what is it about the Eleusinian mysteries that we don't, we know nothing about, but we just, we know enough towards like, Oh, there's seven, seven levels, right? Seven levels. What are we getting at? Are we, are we, ta are we at the door of some, Chimeras or something in history, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah, right. You know, I mean, you brought up some really interesting things there. Um, and I mean, to me, it gets very quickly, this symbolism becomes Northern symbolism. And that is like my thing that I'm like really passionate about is, um, you know, everything related to the pole star, the Northern Sky, Ursa Major and Minor, each having seven stars that revolve around the Pole Star. Uh, if you want to pull up the images once again of um, the different tarot cards, and we could check out the Rider Weight version. Yeah. There's a lot of beautiful symbolism in that card. There you go. There we go. And right. This is Julius Caesar, right? This is supposed to be supposed allegedly uh, Julius Caesar. Am I correct on that? Well, that's interesting because Cancer, uh, most of Cancer takes place during July, right? Mm. Uh, during the seventh month. So that's another correspondence going on here. Um, but if you look at this card, right? Notice that he is in the chariot and he is surrounded by these four pillars, these four poles very much symbolic of the four cardinal directions, the four fixed signs, or any of the four, any of the crosses in the heavens, basically, with the zodiac, I would say, by extension. But he is in the center of these four poles. Um, you know, there's this idea that there's four corners to the earth, or that there's four winds. 
you know, that either exist in the four corners of, uh, of this domain of this reality, um, or the four winds are central and blow to the four corners. There's also this idea of four uh, rivers coming out from the center of the plane. If you're geocentric like that, right? Well, you know, when you look at this figure, the top of his head has a star. And in my opinion, this is the North star, right? And so this is the canopy of heaven, literally symbolically, you know, just above his head. And the North star resides right in the middle. And so for people who don't know, if you look in the night sky, you look towards the Northern sky, all of the stars revolve around the North star and the two constellations that are very intimately tied to the North star are Ursa major and Ursa minor, the great bear and the little bear. And they each have seven stars, you know? So the number seven, it's just completely wild. All of the things that it corresponds with, right? You guys already know all this stuff, but just to review, you know, seven days of the week, seven chakras, uh, seven colors of the rainbow, you know, there's um, alchemical processes that relate to the number seven, like Azoth alchemy. We've talked about that before, you know, so the number seven really is this transcendental sort of number. It's very transformative. Uh, the seven traditional planets. My nipples the idea are so that hard right now, bro. Hell yeah, dude. I love it. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Uh, you know, there's seven <laughs> spheres, you know, I, I uh, made a presentation called uh, seven gates to the great beyond. And I get into all of this symbolism, basically about the number seven, and how there were, and have been still are a number of groups who consider the number seven to be an integral part of their ascension process. And that there's seven main steps, seven gates. Uh, in Islam, it's 70,000 veils between this domain and God. You know, um, this has just been a thing that's been talked about for such a long time that uh, I think it's just one of the keys to understanding uh, many of the riddles that we talk about all the time is this septenary sort of concept. And so to me, it just makes sense that this card is symbolic of all this stuff, because if we're talking about ascension, you need a symbolic vehicle to get from this domain to the next domain. You know, so this chariot is symbolic of literally traveling um, from this plane to the heavens, you know, in my opinion, you know, that is the ultimate trip. That is the ultimate journey. It's like the journey of the afterlife or from uh, this reality to the next one, if you want to say that. So I think that that is what this charioteer, that is why he's riding this chariot. There is a terrestrial mundane aspect of it, you know, traveling from city to city or town to town or whatever. Or there is this, you know, ascension uh, transcendental aspect to it. And so I think that that's absolutely part of what this card represents. So question. So so is the charioteer the cycle pump or do you sit in the chariot and then you're it's the mandala or the that's a great question or the Uh, what's what's the other one? The mandala or the Merkaba? Merkaba, yeah, there you go. Merkaba, yeah, yeah, yeah. Merkaba. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, you know, I've seen it interpreted both ways that uh, the Merkaba is just the vehicle, you know, that you use to transport. But I also think that this figure is an expression of the psychopomp. And I even have a card here um, that I pulled up from, and it, I don't need to share it, but basically the front of the chariot literally has the symbol for Mercury. And Mercury is like an OG psychopomp, 
you know so he goes mm. up uh this stairway to heaven which he transcends exists reality the he's north. the messenger god isn't he yeah yeah so barbara walker she puts the mercurial symbol right on the front of the chariot and i thought that was beautiful because i think that it really ties a few concepts together that i really appreciate um also notice too one of the secrets with this card is that he is not in motion and most of the cards most of the classic cards show a stationary chariot or an impossible vehicle that is not intended to move so the charioteer it looks like he's fused in a cubic stone you know that is not going anywhere anytime soon these sphinxes that are in front of him they're not even tied to the chariot they can't even pull it you know and there's a lot of other cards where like the wheels are sideways and so they're not even literally designed to pull the chariot at all so that's one of the secrets with this card is that you would think motion is implied, but when you really break it down and look at it, he's not going anywhere. Yes. So uh, one thing that that brings up for me is the, uh, you know, we, but right between um, the twins or the lover's card and cancer, which is the chariot card, right in between is the summer solstice. And that is when the sun stays in place for three days. So that stationary chariot uh message to me encodes the uh the three days that the sun stays on that high pinnacle which is the crown of the analima it's on the very pinnacle of the analima is when the sun stops moving for three days and in the olden days subconsciously that means that it's dead you know know, a lot of uh sun figures experience three days of not moving symbolically in so many so many stories and that's right yeah exactly he's almost like fused into the stone too by the way if you look and then oh yeah i'm looking for the phallics the you know the phallus symbolism we have the phallus back here and we also have his staff which is symbolic of the phallus as well and Uh you're talking about the moon and the solar system and the sun well isn't this a winged disc isn't that for Ra? isn't that sun worship like helio worship or something the, the the winged disc again i could be wrong and this looks like a spinning top right you know it's really fascinating when i see the winged disc now um because one book pointed it out to me that really changed the game for me symbolically he was saying that actually um, a lot of people confuse the winged disc as a solar symbol but he thinks it's a polar symbol as in the mm. pole star as in polaris yeah. and then when you look at the top as well yeah. it kind of reminds me of that central pole or the world axis or the axis mundi whatever you want to call it uh, i also call it the stairway to heaven um and so that is also very much encoded in just wheel symbolism so if you're going to talk about the chariot card you have to talk about wheel symbolism and even the symbol for cancer, it's the 6-9, but it almost looks like it's supposed to be moving, right? Like there's a rotation to it. And so the hub of the wheel in the night sky literally is Polaris. Mm-hmm. That That's what you're looking at in the night sky. You're looking at the churning of heaven. You know, it's been compared to like a mill or a wheel, you know, things like that. Or I think the that red top right there is basically symbolically encoding the same thing. Totally. I think of the six and the nine as the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper feeding into each other uh, perpetually, and they and they they seem to be moving, but they never really go anywhere. They always stay in their same uh, in that uh, northern orientation, which 
uh, reckoning. Uh, reckoning literally means to recrown, recrowning. But it's if you're in nautical culture, it's uh, how you get your bearings is to gauge your uh, your journey by the North Star. It tells you where you are. It's like the first thing you learn in uh, Sailors 101. I want to read. Right. I want to read this because this really stood out to me as well. Towards the end, the seventh numbered major Trump is called the Chariot, the Chariot, and portrays a victorious warrior crowned and riding in a chariot drawn by black and white sphinxes or horses. The starry canopy of the chariot is upheld by four columns. This card signifies the exalted one who rides in the chariot of creation. The vehicle of the solar energy being numbered seven reveals the arcane truth that the seven planets are the chariots of the solar power which rides victorious in their midst. The four columns supporting the canopy represents the four mighty ones who uphold the world represented by the star sewn, strewn uh, drapery. The figure carries the specter of the solar energy and its soldiers are orn ornamented or namented geez with lunar crescents the urim and thummim thummim the sphinxes drawing the chariot resent the secret and unknown power by which the victorious ruler is moved continuously through the various parts of his universe in certain tarot decks the victor signifies the regenerated man for the body of the chariot is the cubic stone the man in armor is not standing in the chariot, but is rising out of the cube, thus typifying the ascension of the three out of the four, the turning upward of the flap of the master mason's apron. In pseudo-Egyptian tarot, the warrior carries the curved sword of Luna, his beard to signify maturity, and wears the collar of the planetary orbit. His specter emblematic of the threefold universe is crowned with the square upon which is a circle surmounted by a triangle hall. So that's Manly P. Hall. And mm -hmm. it tells you about the key stands for the letter Cheth, the sign cancer and astrology cancer is connected with the fourth house. And so with the home and the conclusion, da, 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 uh, triumph, victory, successful outcome of a matter. It is also a card of possession, particularly of lands and houses and financial security. So this thing here literally i i have the i did a presentation on pythagorean number symbolism and i have here quoted by manly p hall this is one of my favorite parts of it the three which is symbolic for spirit mind and soul descend into the four which four back to the cube is the world the materiality so that's why christ was crucified on the cross because when you fold the cube out it forms the cross so Christ is sacrificed in the material world. On the, that, that cross represents that. Uh, the sum being seven, three plus four. So it's a mixture of what I love about Pythagorean symbolism is that it, it builds upon the numbers. So it starts with the monad, and the monad yeah. turns into the duad, and then the triad. And so the sum, the three plus the four, so the spirit, mind, and soul plus the world, forms the seven or the mystic nature of man consisting of a threefold spiritual body and a fourfold material form. These are symbolized by the cube, which has six surfaces and a mysterious seventh point within. So that's where the seven comes. It's that center point 
with, center. within the cube from it's which the, everything ascends. So from the center, you can either go either which way that you look at it. So that's that center point. I fucking love, I love that. I love that. So that brings, for me, that brings forward the placenta, the center place. And uh, I consider the placenta to be the armor of God, you know, the full armor of God. Uh, it's also the veil. Uh, so, and it's the chariot. It's the vehicle that you came into this world on. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, what Pierre Sabak brings forward in his research, uh, he talks a lot about the ships. You know, we're in a citizenship. We have relationships. We have friendships. These are all bonds. These are th uh, attachments that's, that we have. And there's one attachment that we were detached from very uh, uh, unceremoniously. Maybe maybe more ceremonious for us, some than others. You know, people are catching on. That placenta is crucial. It's the first step. You know, obstetric practices. Uh, I got a few quick numerological things that kind of build on what you were saying with the Pythagoras there. You know, uh, the, in my head, I, when, you, when I hear three and four adding to the seven, I automatically think of the quadrivium and the trivium, which is a nice, I mean, those are solid. Those are the, the foundations. Tau the, triple, the, the tau and the triple tau, which has the, the was it's encoded it in, it's occulted inside of it. That's right. Yep. We're unpacking all the layers of meaning. Yep. And uh, another thing that I always look to is I have my, I have a list of uh, triangular numbers and then I have my list of primes. And the, uh, I don't have them memorized. I got them. I, they're my cheat sheets. I'm not, I'm not that I'm not that far advanced yet. But so the uh, so the fourth prime number is seven. So right there we have the four poles leading to the seven, which he's rocking on his head, and it is the seventh card. So that's kind of neat how that folds out real quick, real efficient, you know. And then the fourth triangular number is 10. 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 equals 10. It becomes 1. It reduces down to the 1. Uh, the one. And even the number 7 does the same thing that 4 does. When you add 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6 plus 7, it adds up to a 28, which is a month. But then you add the 2 and the 8, and it becomes a 1 again. So the 4 and the 7 both unpack into uh into a 10 in a really fun kind of way so those are cool little uh triangular number tricks um but then this one is really cool the seventh prime number is 17 which goes to the sun card or the nope star card correction the star card which he's rocking a star on his head so having the seventh prime number add up to a 17 and then refer back to itself again in a really cool way. It's really, it's just amazing the consistency of the, of the entire tarot, the way that, you know, no matter how you look at it, it comes back to itself and it self confirms. It's almost like you're checking your math, uh, in, but you're looking at different types of tables and they all pack into this one card. Exactly. Exactly, dude. I love that, man. And you're totally right. You're making me think of the fact that, you know, um, the Empress card is number three 
and the emperor card is number four and so you have like terrestrial mother like an actual matriarchal figure and the patriarchal figure and when they unite they produce the seven which would be the charioteer which is very much this card is symbolic of birth in many ways because it corresponds with cancer and so um this is review for you guys but you know some people maybe don't know this, but the Babylonians and other groups thought that we come via cancer and exit via Capricorn. So the gateway of man is what you enter through cancer, the womb, mother, the waters, you know, uh, the placenta, you know, and then we exit via Saturn, uh, via Capricorn, via, you know, in the winter months, you know, and everything else. And right. then also, I think it's interesting too, when you look at the prog progression of the major arcana cards, you have the lover's card just before uh, the chariot card. Oof. And so it's almost like the couple uniting and then producing the child, right? Yeah, I love that. I love that. Almost like the soul invictus, right? He's the, he's the, the, you know, that child. So we have seven. Seven is a number of great power, a magical. Let me bring this down. Seven is a number of great power, a magical number, a lucky number, a number of psychic and mystical powers, secrecy, and the search for inner truth. And that's what the Sphinxes represent too, right? They have, they're holding, they're guarding the secrets. They are, they're, they're at, that's why they're at the front of the Freemasons, their buildings, because they're holding, they're guarding esoteric secrets, not exoteric. So, the inner truth seven stands for investigation, research, analysis, discovery, philosophy, charm, and luck. It is the number of rest. God rested on the seventh day of creation and spiritual realization. It is mysticism, the psych, the psychic and occult introspection, intuition, magic, and the hero's quest for spiritual truth. The origin of the power of seven lies in the lunar cycle of seven. Each of the moon's four phases last phases lasts about seven days thus life cycles on earth below also have phases demarcated by seven full the angel who rules the moon is the seventh angel of the heavens and rules over seven provinces the sumerians who based their calendar on the moon gave the week seven days and declared the seventh and last day of the week to be uncanny furthermore there are seven years to each stage of human growth seven colors to the rainbow seven notes in the musical scale seven petitions in the lord's prayer and seven deadly sins diseases run their course in sevens with the periods of the gravest danger coming on the seventh 14 and 21st days according to the occult lore the seventh son of a seventh son is born with formidable magical and psychic power that's what i wanted to get to uh the seventh son of a seventh son is like the, the the and it makes you think of why Nick Cannon has so many fucking children, like he's populating the world. Why, uh, why Ep Epstein wanted to have so many kids at his Zorro as his Zorro ranch in the middle of the land of enchantment. So we're connecting dots here. Uh, you got to pay attention because this is this is the occult. The seventh son of a seventh son is born with formidable magical and psychic powers. The number seven is widely held to be a lucky number, especially in matters of love and money. And I'm gonna get to the the seventh son because this is something new to me and i came across this the other day so seventh son man who inherits great magical powers according to widespread folklore seven is a number that is important in folklore relating to magic a seventh son possesses natural abilities for clairvoyance prophecy controls spirits and healing a seventh son of a seventh son is considered to be the most powerful of all 
However, the supernatural ability then diminishes in reverse for the next seven generations. So it's almost like a curse. And it makes me think of why all these bloodlines stay within their own bloodlines. Because maybe they're looking for that next seven. You know what I'm saying? Like they're they're constantly searching for that next seven. And however, the supernatural abilities then diminish. Robert Kirk, a 17th century minister who wrote about fairies, was a seventh son and may have possessed natural psychic abilities that enabled him to see and comprehend the fairy realm. Seventh daughters are valued among some gypsies for their reputed fortune-telling abilities. So... You mentioned fairies well, earlier. Damn. Okay. So, uh, do you get? Can you guys help de- de- uh, confirm or deny? Wasn't Enoch the seventh generation? In, yeah, I think yeah, so. Mm-hmm. I think Enoch was the seventh, and mm-hmm. he was and he was bestowed with considerable influence. Uh yeah, I would say so. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that is really something. So, uh, it all goes back to the placenta for me. When I hear these things about this, uh, this child will have you know, un, unforetellable influence and abilities. I do believe that, you know, the placenta, uh, it is the cesta. The word cesta means basket. So earlier we had Eric Thonius coming out of a basket. And so even Moses, he, he was able to trace his ancestry because he had a piece of fabric that was the material that he was, uh, that he was swaddled in. And that was how wow. he was able to find his true bloodline. And so the basket itself is always, to me, it's always the uh, the occulted true treasure uh, of the mysteries. Wow. Okay. I just have to say, too, the thing this is making me um, think about. Uh, so Cancer is the dimmest constellation in the sky uh, as far as the zodiac signs are concerned. Yes. And so it's the dimmest one in the night sky. If you look at the um, sky and you're looking at all the constellations in the Zodiac, this is something that you'll notice. It's actually kind of hard to see, you know? And so because of that, it's my opinion that because it is so dim, that's why there's been so many different animals associated with it, way more than any other sign. So uh, some cultures saw a turtle or a sea turtle. The Egyptians saw a, a scarab beetle. Other groups saw like a lobster, not a crab. Sometimes it's a crayfish, you know, it's been all of these different things, you know, but generally it has an exoskeleton and it has like a soft interior, you know, that's one thing that I've noticed, but all of the signs, like for the most part, you always just hear Scorpio is generally always a scorpion, you know, as an example, you know, so there is this dark sort of component, uh, this occulted mysterious component with cancer itself so it would make sense that this card relates so much to the mysteries and the number seven, you know, obviously relates to the mysteries as well. So to me, all of that makes sense. Um, but then you also mentioned the Sphinx and we've seen several Sphinx, you know, illustrations here. Uh, one of the things that I learned this past Virgo season is that apparently the Egyptians believe that the beginning of their year started in Virgo and ended in Leo, which is why they created the Sphinx. And so the head is actually Virgo and the body of the Sphinx is a lion. So it's the head of a virgin and the body of a lion. And so they were encoding literally their whole entire year, the head of their year, all all the way to the tail end of their year. That's what they were encoding with the Sphinx. Um, It's my opinion, you know, but I do think that's interesting too. And then also um, there's just so many things going on here 
let me share my screen if you don't mind. And I want to show you an aspect of yeah, the when I, uh, Crowley when I, version of the card. My but, nipples could cut diamonds right now. If, if <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. This is the stuff that I love, just undigging and connecting dots because, again, it's a mental exercise. And and I want to also right. point out there's, there's the sixth and seventh books of Moses. <laughs> Magical text said to contain nice. spells and conjurations for all purposes. The sixth and seventh books of Moses, also called the mystery of all mysteries were published in 1849 in Germany, of course. <laughs> nice. Hell yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, let me right. pull this up here. Cool. There you go. Awesome. All right. So the Crowley version of the card, right? Uh, also notice too, since we're here, that uh, there is a little crescent moon underneath the charioteer. It's easy to miss. Yeah. Did you, you ever see never... that? Juan, did you see the Wait, little crescent moon? What, let me pull it up on my end. No, no, I haven't seen the crescent moon. It's so subtle. It's so subtle. And it almost, here? it almost looks like it's poking in the spokes. Yeah. On the one oh, side. Oh, wow. So he's resting yeah. on the moon. Yeah. And I have my NASA exactly. shirt, too, because we went, we, I think, I mean, they <laughs> went around the moon, right? Artemis? Huh? No? Yeah. Okay, whatever. So, so I, I just put, put this in while we're talking about the, uh, the moon component, resting on the moon. Something that just keeps coming up in my research is the lunar standstills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like you were saying, Wanda, on the seventh day, he rested. Mm -hmm. Well, I've done a, a whole dive on the, the letters R, S, and T. They encode a lunar standstill. Wow. R, R is the 18. It's the moon card. S is 19 is the sun card. Those are the ingredients for the for a uh, eclipse, right? Well, you add them together, you get 37. And then when you divide them by the T, which is 20, reduces to a 2. You divide 37 by the T, you cut it in half, and you get 18.5, which is pretty much a lunar standstill. Mm -hmm. Lunar standstill cycle is an 18.6-year event. And the next one's going to pop off in 2025, and that's a Venusian number. VE is 2, 2. E is a 5. V, 2, 2. E is a 5. And then NUS is Sun in reverse. And Venus wow. has a 225-day orbit around the Sun. Wow. So the next lunar standstill is going to nail on a super, super sacred number, 225 in 2025. So throwing all that on the table. Wow, nice. far out, man. That is awesome. Um, right, so one of the things that's very easy to miss is what's going on in the canopy above the charioteer's head. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this. Gabe, no, don't. You might be. Don't. Yeah, buddy, I, I let's think go you, there. I think you stole my, my graphic. Hold on, give me a second, because I was about to bring that up. <laughs> I can't let you steal my shine, because I channeled my inner... Gabe for this one. So Mario, <laughs> I'm gonna I channeled dude. I was like meditating and I'm like, let me bring this. I made this. So I know exact bro, come on. Uh, who who do you think you're talking to, bro? Look at this. Look at this. Look, 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 look. Oh yeah. So, I'll give it back to oh, you, nice. Mario. You okay, right on, right on. I'll give it back to you, um, but just we're you know, we're we're here. We're here for it. Show some respect. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. I got you. 
Right. All right. So abracadabra, right? Very magical word. Clearly, you know, it's encoded here uh, within the canopy. Um, abracadabra, there's different ways of breaking it down. This is a very common one, right? Uh, reducing it all the way down to the A. I don't claim to know exactly what this is all about, to be honest, but I made a video or a post about this, you know, a while back. So I figured I would pull it up. But uh, it's just, it's really interesting, abracadabra, and then you have abraxis, right? And we're dealing with, once again, a serpentine-legged charioteer being pulled by the four horses. Uh, One of the things, too, with these horses is that when there's four of them, symbolically what it represents, in my opinion, it's the four elements. And then the fifth element is actually the charioteer himself. He is the rider. He's spirit or ether. How come? You know, so that is one of the things that's kind of going on here. Um, and then I just wanted to show uh, this from the Hermetic Tarot that the uh, Hermetic name for the chariot card is Lord of the Triumph of Light. Can you zoom in on that? I've never seen that one. That one looks trippy. Oh, you might dig this deck, man. Is that the Golden There's Dawn one? one? No, it's called the Hermetic Tarot. That was the one with the Golden Dawn that I that I had seen before. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. That um, is really awesome. I don't think I've seen that either. So studying the Hermetic titles is really, really fascinating, and it just reveals another layer of information. So again, Lord of the Triumph of Light. And uh, that gets into some Freemasonic stuff that I've broken down into video which i can show you guys some images for that but real quick uh regarding abraxas you know i just wanted to share that um the meaning of abraxas as uh, daddy manly p hall has said in his book that it breaks down to two ancient words a beer which means bull and axis which means the pole and so there is a polar component with this figure you know, with the Braxis. So the axis literally means axis, as in the axis mundi, the world axis, mm-hmm. and the spinning of the heavens around that axis point, you know, the churning of the heavens, right? Um, so literally that's in secret teachings. He makes that known. And then also Abraxas is um, seven lettered and he corresponds with the seven raid power and a bunch of other things that relate to seven. So it's just very curious that Abraxas corresponds with the number seven, the pole, and uh, the uh, the horses, the chariot stuff, and everything else, and so does the chariot card. So it's pretty much it's the same symbolism, in my opinion. So I made this. We did the Illuminati confirmed episode. And I I know we had brought up the the Elon, yeah. that was the day that Elon Musk released. It was Halloween when he released this, right? And yeah. we broke we broke all that down. The people he got it from allegedly, according to the was Abracadabra. Oh, really? NYC, which is the the people who sold him the costume, and it was seventy five hundred dollars. And I related that to again Abracadabra, the the Crowley tarot card, and then Alistair Crowley described it as the word of the aeon, which signified signi signifieth fieth signifieth I guess signifieth signifieth the great work accomplished. So again, the magnum opus, the alchemical working accomplished. This is in reference to his belief that the writing of the Liber Legis, or Legis heralded a new aeon for mankind. Abrahadabra, because he had changed one of the letters to an H in order for it to fit numerologically. 
is therefore the magical formula for this new age. And Elon Musk says the bird is freed. Well, in the alchemical and the chemical wedding of Christian Rosencruz, they talk about the bird being freed. The, the, oh. the Phoenix that is killed in that story at that, at that wedding, which also the four pillars is symbolic of a wedding as well. That's right. So we have the, the alchemical wedding plus the full metal alchemist. And we have these chimeras down here, which also can be that, right? Is he birthing these chimeras or are they his familiars? Because also is the charioteer, it's not being pulled by the animals. Well, are the animals his magical familiars? Or is he using them for as talismans to amplify his magical abilities some which way? So that's also another aspect of that. But I related that again, abracadabra. And it's some sort of mantra, right? You're able to break it down. And the, the chemical wedding of Christian Rosencruz, again, they talk about the bird being freed. And I found it really interesting that your boy, Elon Musk here was tweeting. The bird is freed. Very cryptic, alchemical, symbolic, occult, right? Magical. Sure. Oh yeah. Absolutely, man. Um, Are you guys familiar with the statues in front of the chariot uh, right there? What they represent? No, but go ahead. Crowley uh, talks about it in his book of Thoth. Oh, really? And so, yeah, essentially, you know, the four fixed signs, right? So Taurus, uh, so uh, Taurus, Scorpio, Leo, and Aquarius, right? They each have, you know, an animal or person associated with them. And so that's what the four pillars around the charioteer represents, and so here, what you have is the head of a bull on the left, and then you have an eagle right next to it. That's Scorpio. So Taurus, Scorpio, the person represents Aquarius, and then you have Leo the lion, right? And so what he did was he mixed and matched these four fixed signs and gave them each different heads, different bodies, and different feet. So it's a combination of the four fixed signs in four different ways. So that's what that's all about. That's awesome. That is way awesome. A mixture of the four royal royal signs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly right. That so works. that's a that's rotas. He rotated or ma- scrambled them, twisted and turned them. That's to it. Ro- dude. To rotas, yeah. And that appears in the Wheel of Fortune card, the rotas yeah. around the wheel. Mm-hmm. And if you study. Uh, traditional chariot cards with the wheel of fortune there's a lot of overlapping symbolism right it's like they're telling you that you need to use your imagination to make these signs move in your mind's eye and if you can make them move you will be able to uh basically solve it like a rubik's cube mentally well the cube again yeah that's a very interesting point because the cube but we have hellraiser with the cube and it, yep. unlocking a different dimension and the chosen one i get a cube from another dimension <laughs> and it unlocks powers in other podcasters that do swap casts with me so that yeah. is how they unlock their powers that's part of the lure and also the other day when i was watching Yu-Gi-Oh with my son we have the most powerful card right again card tarot the creature that is brought forth from this card is Exodia, right? Exodus, the link to Moses, the, the, the Exodia. And he he obliterates people, right? He goes, Exodia, obliterate, right? He sends them to the shadow realm. And mm. I found this eerily similar 
two, and again, I know Crowley was obsessed with like Egyptian symbolism, and that show is heavy on the symbolism. It's literally about a spirit in an artifact, in a trinket that takes over this little boy's body, and he helps him. You know, he gives him wisdom. He's like in line. He's a different person, and it's got the eye of Horus or the eye of of Osiris or whatever on it. And he is able to unlock this person that's in the in the pyramid on his neck. It's a trinket, and he uh, makes him duel better. And this this thing he it sends people to the shadow realm, right? When he obliterates people, it sends people to the oh, shadow realm. Man. So I thought about this because I think that the Full Metal Alchemist, which is in this particular card, Tofucus, but he's occulted. He is veiled. He is hidden away. And he is, he is, I believe, birthing reality or holding reality on his lap, right? He's, he's, there's something with this. He's either a portal, but then, it make, you know, you're mentioning about rearranging things in your mind's eye. It makes me think about the cult of Lamb, which were Crowleyan followers. They, they followed Crowley. And what was the whole thing about that? Focusing on this mandala in order to insert yourself into Lamb's head. And they literally talk about it. It's transcendental meditation where you dissolve into lamb's head. And from that point on, you are able to transcend realities. And this is the mm-hmm. cult of lamb. And I think it's Kenneth. One of the Kenneths. Not anger. Ken, not anger. Not anger. Grant. I believe Grant. Might be Grant. Kenneth Grant. One of the Kenneths. That's why I get them mixed up because there's Kenneth Grant. And this Kenneth Anger. Kenneth Anger is the one with the Lucifer tattooed on his chest, of course. Yeah, the filmmaker. Not yeah. him. Kenneth, gotcha. I believe it's Kenneth Grant. One of the Grants. Anyways, point being that they, they were talking about this, using these images as mandalas. And again, another one that stood out to me was this one. C-3PO. Yeah, yeah. Again. <laughs> and this is part of a sneak peek on the episode we're going to do on Star Wars. But again, back to the armor symbolism where yep. it's... The Full Metal Alchemist. Now, it's unfitting for this one, but still, uh, again, this I, th- I think it's the invocation of the... Maybe Darth Vader is the chariot card because, again, he is missing limbs back again oh. to that. Back. I don't want to talk about it too much, but we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about it on, yeah. the, on the episode. But again, uh, suit of armor, as I'm going to say, uh, but yeah. these connections are being made. And... You know- I got to I got to weave on that real quick. Uh, I think you're right about uh, C-3PO. I mean, it's it's super obvious. But one aspect of C-3PO, I think I think he starts out basic as the sun card and he evolves into once he's traumatized and goes through his adventure. He apotheosizes and becomes the chariot card in his his chariot is R2-D2. There's his wheels. Right, right. That's what's on his stomach. Right. Yeah. So his ascended aspect is totally the chariot, but it's even it's even um, psychologically imbued because of the storytelling. And abracadabra mm-hmm. means with my words I create. Oof. And so C-3PO, he says of himself in the beginning, I'm not a very good storyteller. People aren't very <laughs> interested in what I have to say. Oh, I'm just wow. a translator. I'm just right. a trans just a translator i'm not a good yeah and then after yeah. the fact he's like the best storyteller ever like, and then yep once his tower collapses once he goes through a tower collapse he falls apart he gets reassembled 
he now he has a good story because he's been dismantled. I right, save it, fact, save it, save it for the save yeah, it for yeah, the Star yeah, Wars. yeah. It's gonna be a deep dive. So, but Star I, Wars. One, one, one more thing on the abracadabra with my words I create. I have uh, going back to the placenta theory. I do believe that there are uh, probably whole races of individuals that uh, are beyond anybody's pay grade who may have abilities to compel with speech mm -hmm. beyond our imagining. And this is actually encapsulated in the film uh, Dune. Mm. In Dune, the royal houses have a special yes. ability to compel people with their words. Mm. And oh, so, man. and in the most recent Dune series, there is a scene where he's uh, in the desert, in the wilderness with his mother, and they have to sl uh, sleep inside of a special tent that is made out of this special fabric. And here we have the sesta. Here we have the basket. Here we have the matriarch and the child communing in a very sacred way. In nice. that, in the net, the tent that they're in, it actually captures the sweat and the tears because he goes through a trauma in that scene. He actually uh, is remembering the loss of his father, the death of his father. So he's 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 screaming and crying and sweating, and then they sleep together in the tent. And in the morning, he actually uh, harvests the moisture from the tears and the sweat, and he gives it to his mother to drink. And after mm. she drinks the sweat from the labor of the all night working through their issues for, for from the ancestral issues, she drinks it, and he comes out. There's a birthing ritual where he comes out first from the tent, and now he is a man. And now he is teaching his mother how to walk in the desert so that they can't be tracked by the sand dune worms. And it's a very special, he's got a crip walk. You got to do the crip walk so they can't catch you. Uh, so all of this is cryptic. It's veiled references. And I do believe that some of this shit is fully uh, functional. Uh, it's not just mysticism and storytelling. I think it is uh, mm. in, quite in play in the real world. So I just thought I'd throw oh. that all in the mix. And there, that movie's kind of weird too because he gets initiated, right? And and the pain, the pain, that's the one where he puts his hand in the in the thing, and it's like a, the JB, the Jam Gabar. Yeah. So, and I wanted to point this out because why not, right? Uh, they got the torso here, <laughs> the homunculus, and also, you know, you're talking about with words I create. I'm gonna throw one more Star Wars thing out because I caught this, but. <laughs> when old Ben scares away the sand dune people, I don't know if you noticed, his voice is amplified in that scene where he scares it away. He goes, Oh, yeah. He like screams or something, but like I think he did like some magical throat chakra type of thing where he amplified his voice and he goes, The, the, whatever people, they scare you quite easily, but they won't be gone for long, right? But he's amplified his voice. To scare them away, and it makes me think of what you're saying, the Abra Cadabra. And he, right. that's all I'm gonna say, but we're gonna do a deep dive on that. If you wanna if you wanna follow along with us, it's gonna be episode number four and five, and you hope and Empire Strikes Back. So just in case we don't remember to get back on that topic when we do the next show, I think that that was predictive programming for what they told us happened in uh, the shocked and awe. They actually told us that the government has a program where they could actually mm -hmm. uh, send voice-to-skull technology into the other armies and, and have the voice of Allah speak exactly Oof. the magical words that they're programmed to hear so that they will come out and surrender. 
and uh, live in peace. And so I think that Star Wars was uh, predictively programming that. And also Lando Calrissian, he's got that one dude, that one guy who's got the weird ear uh, earmuffs on. Yeah. Well, he's he's programmed to receive. And so Lando Calrissian speaks to him. Well, he's com- he is uh, controlled by Lando's voice because his ears are programmed mm. to hear uh, just what he's supposed to hear, to only obey Lando. Again, these connections being made, I'm not saying it's it's 100%, but <laughs> makes a lot of sense Gnarly to me. Stuff, dude. That was awesome, man. Um, so real quick, um, regarding the uh, Crowley card again, if you don't mind pulling that up. Yeah, let me pull it up here. I have rad. to find it. Do you have it pulled up by any chance? Uh, I or actually, I, hold on. I can. I got it. Okay. Because I've taken it down, but here we are again. Right. Okay. So he actually he spoke about he wrote about what the charioteer is holding there, and so he refers to it as the Holy Grail, and. He says that it's a holy grail made of amethyst and that the red in the center is actually blood. And so to me, that is really fascinating for a lot of different reasons. In my personal opinion, when we're talking about holy grail symbolism, we all have a holy grail and it's our sacred center. You know, it's our true north. It resides within, in my opinion. But also I'll say externally, people search for the Holy Grail and all of these relics, I think a lot of them are Northern symbols, actually. And so I think that there is a Holy Grail at the center of the plane, uh, in my opinion. So again, more Northern symbolism. Um, But this idea that there's a drop of blood in this uh, Grail, I think is really intriguing as well. Obviously, it almost looks like a uh, birthing symbol here. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a pregnancy sort of idea going on here, you know, coming from within and projecting forth maybe you know the holy grail it's not that far off or that different from like a um, fountain of youth type symbol Mm -hmm. right where it holds but it also projects there are things that spew forth from it there are things that sprout from it potentially he said it was can you repeat what he said it was again he said it was a type of stone and blood yeah so he said it was a holy grail Mm -hmm. made of amethyst and that he attributed it to jupiter which I think is interesting because Jupiter is exalted in cancer. And so shit. Thank you for that. Mario. Yeah. What's going on, man. Oh man. Uh, Jupiter is a number seven on my Enneagram. Zeus really. Zeus is the number seven on my Enneagram, man. This Enneagram project, it's getting on my nerves. How fucking true it is. (laughs) It drives me crazy. That's great. I didn't know that Jupiter was exalted in cancer. Uh, so yeah, Zeus and Jupiter totally are number seven on my Enneagram system. So I showed that to Elsie uh, King the other day because he was bringing up the connection between Zeus and seven as well. I don't know if you can see it on my camera. Oh, Z is the seven. Look at that one. Yeah. Z and the seven. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm getting struck by go. lightning just thinking about that. <laughs> wow. Nice. So uh, I pulled up the little quote in his book, the book of Thoth, and he says the central and most important feature of the card is its center, the Holy Grail. It is of pure amethyst, the color of Jupiter, but its shape suggests the full moon and the great sea of Bana. In the center is radiant blood, the spiritual life 
is infrared, light in the darkness. These rays, moreover, revolve, emphasizing the Jupiterian element in the symbol. Wow. And, yep, and amethyst has the word math in it. Oh, meth. meth. Has the word meth. And, and, <laughs> and they say that people use meth to talk to reptilians, too. Like, when they're high on meth, like, they can see other entities. And it's also intoxicate, metho, a yes. reference to the belief that the stone protected its owner from drunkenness. Ancient mm. Greeks wore amethyst and carved drinking vessels from it in the belief that it would prevent intoxication. So are they Good doing some Lord. sort of ritual with that? I mean, that's the whole thing behind the grill, right? Where it, it's part of the whole Mary Magdalene bloodline and the actual thing in the grill is the period blood of a certain person. Yeah, okay. So. That is fascinating, dude. I did not know that people actually made vessels out of amethyst. Uh, Very, very intriguing. But, you know, this reminds me. So this idea that we come via cancer, the gateway of man, and exit via the gateway of the gods, Capricorn. There is this old belief that upon reincarnation, coming back to this domain, that we are given an intoxicant to drink so that we can forget our past lives. Oh, yeah. you know, when we come here, so we can't recall what we've gone through already and that it comes via a cup. And it's my opinion that uh, it also, the symbolism relates to the craters of the moon and that the craters of the moon are symbolic chalices or cups, which obviously, uh, you know, the moon corresponds with, with cancer. So I think that that's part of the weave here, in my opinion. Oh, wow. Okay. I gotta, I gotta say, uh, so uh, Dr. Maxwell Jacobson is uh, well known as a very high-end drug dealer to the elite of the elites. He had uh, JFK was one of his clients, Marilyn Monroe, uh, uh, Charlton Heston. When Charlton Heston was giving the Ten Commandments, he was high off his gourd on what we have come to call uh, placenta meth, mm-hmm. uh, which is methamphetamines infused with placenta and many other things. Uh, but we've just simplified it. Uh, so that's quite profound that we're talking about the placenta, the full armor, that he's holding the cup on his navel, on his umbilical cord, you know? And so we've got the uh, the amethyst. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly right, dude. Thank you for saying that because yeah. another northern symbol is the navel. And that the navel, uh, I believe the translation in Greek is tabor, and here in town, or at least the biggest city near me, uh, Portland, there's a central mountain and it's Mount Tabor. And so oh, Tabor or Omphalos or uh, the navel is the sacred center of a lot of places, including our bodies. Yeah. Right. And so when you see the Egyptian um, uh, graphic of uh, Nuit, Newt, and Geb, you know, she's bending over. And she's grabbing his feet. You know, her navel is right there in the middle. And sometimes you actually see, it's way less common, but you'll see Geb with an erection. And his erection is going straight up. And it's the central pole, basically, in my opinion. It's the world axis. That is awesome. So so on the the aspect of people who do meth, they see spirits, they see to, you know, the other side, uh, what is meth in reverse phonetically? Them. Them. They nice. see. They see them. They see them. Yeah. <laughs> and I just love pulling That's these awesome. things out. I love pulling these things out because they were there all along. 
you know, and they ring so powerfully with truth if you just have the right context. Quite literally. I right, mean, right. <laughs> they yeah, ring. Yeah. So, and I, and I think that's that's part of, of, again, having the eyes to see if you're initiated. That's what a lot of people don't understand. The symbols right. are the language of the soul, and these symbols aren't speaking to us. They're not <clears> speaking to us directly like, oh, wow, okay, it's a guy in a chariot, da-da-da, whatever. No, it's speaking to our subconscious, and it's you know it's speaking to the ego, and it goes back to what you were mentioning about Carl. Was it Freud or Carl Jung? A very again very either way, both very interesting, interesting people in history, right? Where yep. they're involved in with archetypes and symbolism and the psyche and the shadow self. So again, back to this deeper aspect of within one psyche, and yeah, it's it's really fascinating. I think that. I didn't know that he wrote about the, the, the bowl, but again, the Holy grail. I mean, that's what the Nazis were looking for. The Nazis back to the connection with the placenta man, mm-hmm. the yeah. Nazis were and, looking for the, the Holy grail too. And HG right. Holy grail HG that's Mercury. HG Wells. Nice. Mercury. That's yep. it, dude. Yep. And Mercury is the one that in my opinion, right. Goes between realms via the axis mundi the stairway to heaven that resides at the north you know at the sacred center of things um you know this card too it's reminding me that the hebrew letter associated with the chariot card is cheth and it looks like a little canopy and i talked about this in one of my videos and it means fence so it means enclosure it means something that's contained you know that's what the chalice is that's what the cup is that's what the shell of the crab is that's what the armor is on this figure. That's yeah. kind of what even the canopy, you know, and the chariot actually is. You know, it's all of these enclosures, yeah. which to me is actually really interesting, too, because, uh, you know, the chariot card corresponds with cancer, opposite cancer. You almost can't look at any signs individually. You really have to study the opposite sign. The opposite sign is Capricorn, which is Saturn, which is like the planet for boundaries and partitions and walls and everything else like that. So there's excellent. definitely Saturnian energy in here too. That's excellent. Yes. Uh, I got to, I got to point out the uh, court. When you go to court, the word court in Spanish is literally means cut. They have cut off, not just, uh, you know, the male genitalia at birth, which I think is obfuscating the real robbery, the real burglary of every child born is the placenta. They've cut you off of your placenta. And that's why in court, we no longer have standing uh, because uh, we're not uh, self-sustaining. Um, in, uh, in law, the word substantive rights, the word substantive means self-sustaining. Uh, and that's very powerful. That, you know, that's right where Black's Law and spiritual implications uh, come hand in hand. Very interesting, dude. You know, that drop of blood in the grail, very close to his genitals, very close to where the umbilical cord would be. So that is fascinating. Yeah. And this kind of goes back to as well as, um, you know, this idea that the original trauma is birth. You know, the original trauma is actually being born into this reality and being taken away from mother, you know, and that that's something that we all have to deal with here. Right. Nice. I love that you're flipping it upside down, Juan. It's always good to look at. Yeah. See see what comes Absolutely. out. 
Yeah, I'm. I always like to look at it from different angles because, again, this is not just this is not just two D or whatever. It's very exactly. So, and also when you get a, a card up, flip up, upside down, it also is it signifies something, right, Mario? When you do a tarot reading. Yeah, if that's how you roll. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I've, I've, also, I've, I've, yeah, I've heard people say that you should uh, make, uh, make a pledge to yourself to decide whether you're going to honor inverted cards or not, and then stick with it for the rest of your life. Mm. And so it's, I think it's, uh, it's something that you shouldn't be willy-nilly about. You should mm. either decide to honor inverted cards or you should be mm. uh, hermetic about your uh, your your system that you're going to employ. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, also, too, um, underneath, you know, is he on a yellow brick road? You know, are those mm. four figures, are they symbolic of the four main characters in The Wizard <laughs> of Oz, which each represent <laughs> the four elements? <laughs> you know... The Cowardly Lion is fire. The uh, Scarecrow is air. You know, um, and it just goes on. Oh, the Tin Man. That's actually something I wrote down Oh, man, yeah. Tin Man is very much symbolic of cancer, you know. And so it's interesting that Jupiter is exalted in cancer because Jupiter corresponds with tin, right? So he's the Tin Man. And then also can sir. He almost looks like a walking can, honestly. He's just an empty vessel. And what is he searching for, you know, in the story? He wants a heart. You know, this is symbolic of the emotions, which is what uh, water symbolism is all about and what some of what this card actually represents. Uh, I also think Dorothy very much symbolically represents Earth, as in Mother Earth. She's the mother of Toto. So um, it just makes me wonder, is that the yellow brick road down there? It's kind of curious, right? Do you have what he wrote about the the Ophiuchus? And, and and can we talk about Ophiuchus, the, the constellation? Isn't that a constellation, Ophiuchus? Oh, yeah. Because he yeah, says yeah, that that it's, again, that this character is here is the, the armored Ophiuchus. And I wondered why he picked Ophiuchus out of all the people. What, what that, because that's the hidden symbol, right? That's like the occulted symbol, the missing 13th sign. Am I correct on, on that? Yeah, yeah, depending on how you look at it. So are, just to clarify, Crowley said that he's a Fucus? Yeah, when I had looked up the the, really? the Crowley Tarot, I'll pull it up here. Give me one second. Nice, dude. That would be fascinating if that's what he said. Um, but to me, a Fucus um, lines up a, a lot with mercurial symbolism, personally, and northern symbolism, what do you know? Um, a Fucus is one of the inner constellations if you're comparing it with the ecliptic, with the path of the sun. So it's a little more northern. You know, he's the serpent bearer. Um, I know, Gabe, you know a bit about Afukas, right? So maybe not Crowley, but on this site, the Chariot Thoth Tarot card shows us an Ophiuchus in golden armor. Focusing, right? I'm reading that right. Ophiuchus, right? That's, that's Ophiuchus, yeah. You got focusing it. on the inner self in the meditation posture yoga posture the full power of this card extremely striking when looking at it and that's why it resonates with me so much seems seems to come to silence beneath a closer examination however underneath the stillness there is still an expression of great potential power it is a peaceful source of strength accumulated within and around its center which helps expand the external state of tranquility the attraction of eternity concentric circles and (laughs) contexts 
merging people and their entire activity into the positive plan of creation and obtaining its micro equivalent in the permanent rotation of the holy grail in the mind of Ophiuchus. Huge red wheels are a symbol of pure intention action involving a person's motivation to act. The four pillars that make the green roof relate to the night sky originating from the old view of the world that they are supporting the sky as well as the animals outlined below which are the four guards of the heaven in the shape of little angels. This is also show, this also shows that the movement inside the card has a wide range and follows all directions in the sky. Then it relates to the task of mankind, which is to create ground subjects. That's interesting. Mm. The hero who opened yeah. his eyes inwardly was holding the cup towards the observer. So we're the observer. The observer effect. He's taking advantage of that. At that time, both of them, the golden knight, is the mirror image of the observer, are given the opportunity to gain emotion for the power of the center. Golly, that's a great... Guys, I, I think they're telling <laughs> you... To, that it's out of focus it's off focus mm. and that if you stare at it it will bring forward more and more uh potential meaning subconscious uh subliminal implications but uh mario you, you already pointed out that cancer is a very uh faint constellation it's out of focus it's off focus mm. so mm -hmm. The Ophiuchus nice, is concentrating and meditating inside his massive golden armor that embodies the image of a holy warrior or samurai manifested through the power of concentration, chi, rather than muscle strength. However, the chariot stood still. Ophiuchus sat still in his chariot and focused on the inner core portrayed by the Holy Grail. Crowley writes, the Ophiuchus wear an ember ember-colored armor which is suitable for the symbol the mask of the helmet was pulled down so no one could see his face for the same reason none of his body parts was revealed he sat still in the chariot instead of directing it because the entire operating system was in perfect balance his only role was to keep the holy grail and wow. this reminds me of again well there's a lot of stuff in here this is a great site uh, one of the one of the things that it reminds me of the little golden man. So check this out. The, the golden monk there. So the, in, there are these monks in China who will mummify themselves. And it's a three year, it's a three year ritual that they do. And they mummify themselves from the inside out. Hidden scan reveals a thousand-year-old mummified monk inside the statue. So this statue, which is made out of gold, was sitting in this in this museum for a while. Nobody knew anything about it. They were like, okay, it's a golden monk, whatever. Well, they did some scans of it, and they found there was a, a mummified monk inside of it. So what these monks do, and it's got a name. I'll find the name here in a second. What they do is they have a certain diet and they draw, they eat a certain plant and barks and stuff like that. And it's supposed to dehydrate them from the inside out for three years. They're doing meditation. They're fasting. They're drying themselves from the inside out. And in their last days, they will entomb themselves in these statues and meditate again, like the Ophiuchus in the golden armor until they die and they are forever encapsulated in that golden armor for eternity and i related this to the homunculus of course right because <laughs> in the secret of the golden flower which carl Jung was very fond of 
it talks about your body outside of your body. And when you're able to meditate and reverse the outward flowing energy from your body and you turn it back in on itself, there is a, that, that flow and the energy will eventually crystallize within yourself. Mm. And it's going to, again, it's very cryptic, but you know, even even the word homunculus has the word monk. Yeah. Yeah. So this crystallized thing takes on a mind of its own within your body. And that's the golden little man that goes on to live on forever after your body dies in order for you to escape samsara or reincarnation. So these Taoists or Taoist monks, which is internal alchemy, they are creating this little homunculus within themselves by, again, by maybe perhaps castration, because one of the things is semen retention in order to, because we're talking about the seventh son of a seventh son. Well, what they believe was if my sperm, if my seed is divine and inside of my sperm is a little man, a little golden man or a smaller man, well, What's inside that little man, you know, and ad infinitum all the way down. So instead of me putting my magical seed everywhere, I'm going to keep it within myself and hoard all the power for myself. So if I'm able to create and, and, and with my magical seed outside of my body, great things, what happens if I just keep it inside and I keep building it inside and building it inside and building it inside. So that's where the, the little golden man comes from, from internal alchemy the Taoist, which is dated all the way as far back as the 8th century BCE, before Common Era, which is, and then it goes back to what what me and Gabe have talked about before, the terracotta soldiers. Well, one of the things that I think that they were doing in there was there is supposedly a pool of mercury underneath one of those hills. Well, what if, again, what if, because Hans Purple escapes this reality when it reaches a certain temperature, what if they found a way to embed their consciousness into these statues because they're all different statues. What if the the people who were making the statues were each person making their own statue, their own alchemical statue in order to infuse their consciousness into the microcosm of the macro celestial palace that that king wanted to build? What if they were able to somehow find some type of way to do this? How these monks were able to kind of sort of infuse their body for forever in here. I think that's what Mm -hmm. the terracotta war. And I've seen the terracotta soldiers up close in Chicago. It was surreal. I mean, I've I've seen them in person. So some of them at least. And I think that it was some sort of tech that they were trying to unlock by putting their energy, their consciousness into this statue, which if you look at stories of Hermes Trismegistus animating statues, the Egyptians believed in animating statues the head of John the Baptist was what a skull that supposedly prophesies again, a talisman. So we and then we were talking about the snakes, maybe prophesizing two people. I don't know. I mean, interesting. Wow. There's a lot to say about all this stuff. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one quick thing on, uh, if you were in Chicago with those, uh, Chicago in my territories map is, uh, in cancer. Uh, cancer in uh, Chicago and Detroit are pretty much in the in the sign of uh, cancer. Of course, in my territories, man, because Detroit is where they make all the chariots. Indian Indiana five hundred, Indianapolis five hundred is where the chariot race is. 
Wow. All, all those aspects of the chariot. Get fucked. That's and dope, dude. That all happened because of a reason. I was there for a reason for this exact moment right now. So That's right. <laughs> Uh, regarding semen retention, um, you know, sometimes people refer to that as the Christos fluid, mm-hmm. right? That uh, it sits down below and then it's going to go up your spine at some point, you know, if it's retained long enough and there's certain added benefits of that. Um, that reminds me of the fact that within the Cancer constellation, there is a smaller constellation, a cluster of stars called the Manger. So there is literally a Christ component with Cancer as well as the chariot card. And then also Jupiter, Zeus, some people make the claim, right? Jesus, right? Um, that there is a correspondence, right, with uh, with Christ and Jupiter. So just thought I would point that out. Also, Terracotta, uh, the warriors, my understanding is that they were originally blue. And so there is a tradition of painting or associating soldiers with the color blue. Uh, I've seen this repeated like several different times. I think of UN soldiers, actually, you know, uh, wearing the blue outfit and everything else. And oh, so here yeah. we have the uh, the charioteer, right? He's a warrior. And a lot of times he does have blue around. And uh, isn't the, the am- amnest purple too? Right? Yeah. Oh, uh, I don't know. Wasn't it? I think I thought could have started. Oh, I see. Purple. It says uh, purple pigment. Okay. So they haven't been able to, they haven't been able to, to reproduce in modern times. Oh, this really? two thousand year old color, they haven't been able to reproduce it. Oh, it's purple. Okay, gotcha. So it's Han, yeah, Han purple, and I think it has something to do with again infusing consciousness into it by the use of color, and yeah. And, but it, I, I think the am amnest, right? Amnest was amethyst. Amethyst. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, it's definitely purple. It's purple. So yeah. vi- is a violet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The, what, the one really fascinating thing about the Hans purple is when they, they bring it down to uh, almost zero degrees uh, Kelvin, which means no more molecular movement, uh, which they just were able to do in the last decade uh, with the Bose-Einstein, Bose-Higgs-Einstein condensation method, freaking laser beams and shit. And uh, so they bring it down to zero degrees Kelvin, and then they add a, ma- a powerful magnetic charge in the die literally drops from the third dimension yeah. down to two dimensional. It's crazy. Wow. It transcends dimension. So that's why I say I relate it to the transcending of dimensions. You know, you put your, your consciousness into it and it's like the OG USB drive. Well, you're downloaded there. We don't know how to reproduce it. So they're trapped in there forever or they escaped the matrix. But yeah, literally in 2006, it was discovered that at temperatures very close to absolute zero in the presence of a strong magnetic field, the material effectively loses a dimension, transforming from a 3D <laughs> material to a 2D Bose-Einstein condens- condens- condensate as it crosses a quantum critical point. So it makes me think of, hear me out, the Mithraic temple in London that allegedly has its own magnetic force field of some kind i've been there by the what? way oh you've been there at the the bloomberg building yeah wow yeah, yeah, yeah. so did you feel confirmed did you feel an energy it's it's weird yeah i mean i can't say i'm that sensitive like that personally you know but there are some strange things going on about it um yeah yeah, yeah but what were you gonna say uh, well again this is talking about a strong a presence of a strong magnetic field what if 
I think it's a lost ancient technology of being able to, again, like the OG Stargate, they were able to transcend reality. I believe they were able to, we don't know how they built the pyramids. We don't know, you know, Emily Moyer talks about it being interdimensional architecture where it shows us a certain way in this dimension, but it's in another dimension. And not only that, but the shape of it, right? What is the, why are all these shapes around the world? But again, these guys were drinking mercury in order to try and live forever. So who the fuck knows if they're actually <laughs> onto something or not? You know what I'm saying? Like it's all yeah, open yeah. for inter- all open for interpretation. But it really makes you think. I really love thinking about all these things because I think it's the allure of we're never gonna find out. Like ooh, we're never gonna know. Maybe you know what I'm saying? Like ooh, is there a homunculus that it really exists? Like people <laughs> people ask me. So do you think it was a real thing? Is it like a cryptid? I go. Somebody asked, I think it was on Tim Hat. Johnny was asking me if the homunculus is happy to be here. I'm like, well, it's does the bidding of its creator. It does whatever you want it to do. So I don't know if it is happy or not. Right? Who knows? So, so Mario, would you uh, would you agree that uh, there's a powerful correspondence with Mithra, the character in the his iconic slaying of the bull, and Odriga, the charioteer? mostly based on the location of Ariga being on the shoulder of the bull. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I, I could see that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And Ariga is often depicted with that Mithraic cap, the red hat as well. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I also saw this, speaking of chariots, uh, uh, when I, in the, in, I think it was oh, in the sweet. Smithsonian. I'm not sure where, where it was. I forgot it was years ago, but I did see the chariots and it even has a kyborium the the covering seems to be mandatory for this uh for this charioteer Mm -hmm. like not only is he in his armor encased in armor but he also has what's called a a cyborium uh which in this case it's an umbrella but he has to have that uh that derivative of the archway or the firmament above in some way shape or form yeah yeah exactly right imagine having to handle these bro (laughs) <laughs> two thousand year old statues that'd be crazy bro and it's pulled by four animals there yeah and terracotta is like ter- it's like similar to tarot so yeah also the taurus of the bowl yeah and i saw this one too it was like a box it wasn't yeah. like a chariot but it was like a box and they're bronze horses mm. wow okay yeah this is really fascinating let's bring it back memories. that's awesome dude but yeah, again, I think it's everything's an alchemical process, transferring energy, the transmuting of energy. And I think that's what the chariot card symbolizes with the the transmuting of reality, right? He is in forever meditation. He is forever going to be locked in the Ouroboros. And he is there to what? To keep, to keep the... Holy grail. I'm going to pull something up real quick on my Instagram. The video I made, the clip, and I think I found, I found it very... The armor, like Elon. Hold on, let me see if you guys can... It'll pick it up on my end, but not on... Let me share my screen, my, my sound here. Share system sound. Window. Let me know if you guys hear this when it pops up. And when they make the movies, here? they they literally film no. a fictional. Th- no, jeez. Stop screen. Anyways, 
I'll let me see if I can pull up the video file. Yeah, you guys can keep talking while I upload the video file. So Mario, you were talking about the manger being yes. in in a, a nebula in Cancer. Uh, do you recall the, is the manger also known as the beehive cluster? You know what? Uh, I know the beehive cluster. I actually, that's a very good question. I don't know if they're the same thing or if they're different things, but I, absolutely, the beehive is there as well, right? In some right. way, shape, or form. Yeah. So, so, go ahead. Well, for me, uh, so I've been studying this enneagram like crazy. Turns out that uh, Gurchev got the enneagram from a group of Sufis, and the name of the Sufis are like this. Uh, uh, their name translates to the beehive, the beekeepers. Ooh, nice. And so uh, that this tells me that the enneagram comes from. Uh, a, a sect of people who consider themselves uh, related to the beehive. Iconically, their name goes to the beehive. And there are people who have dismissed Gurchev's claim on this. Uh, the armor. But the thing is, those the naysayers will, you know, haters got to hate because the proof is in the pudding. And what I'm doing here is I'm putting his, his theories to the test and I'm getting positive results. So mm. even though people say that... Uh, you know, that uh, Gurchev, they actually have a term, they call it, that's a Gurchevian name, because he would come up with these like really obscure sounding names because they sound too cool to prove or disprove. But the proof's in the pudding. I do and the more, <laughs> Yeah, and the more I test the system, the more it uh, gives positive results. Mm. So this group of the Sufis being the beehive, keep bee, the beekeepers uh, is quite profound to me because the... Uh, the armor is golden. We were talking about the golden brick road mm -hmm. underneath him. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm even now thinking about honey as correspondent with oil. It's almost like a sacred oil. Absolutely. Yep. That uh, the word Leo in reverse is oil. Mm. And, and in, um, in, the in the Bible, there, uh, the lion and uh, there's some sort of alchemical mystery about converting, turning the lion's carcass into honey. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think, I, mm -hmm. yeah, Alan Marcus knows more about that, that whole riddle. But I think that we're, we could actually correspond the riddle to this uh, astrological phenomenon. Oh, wow. oh, that's fascinating. The story dude, of Sam because, Samson. Um, Yes, that's it. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, Leo is right next to Cancer. Right. Leo is ruled by the sun, and then Cancer is ruled by the moon. Those are the only two constellations ruled by the sun and the moon, right? Makes me think of that. Also, are you aware of what honeymoon means in the box saga? Uh, tell eating, me again. Eating your own sperm? <laughs> yeah. It's literally <laughs> it's uh, when a couple has gotten married, um, she wants to consume the semen of her partner to basically condition her body or get used to his fluid 69. pretty much. Yeah. Yep. And so the honeymoon is literally her ingesting his semen for the first time to acclimate her body, to receive his seed, to have his child. Interesting. That's what the honeymoon is about. And so as you're bringing this stuff up, I'm like the honeymoon. I mean, the beehive cluster within cancer being ruled mm -hmm. by the moon and everything else. That's, that's awesome. Dang. But I like the weave you just presented there, man. That's that's fascinating. I want to know more about that. Nice. I'm glad I didn't know that the sun and the moon were so that brings the uh the the kiss of um of the uh, lunar standstill and the eclipse eek 
lips. When the eclipse happens, the two bodies are kissing one another. So it's like a divine kiss, in fact. And also, too, cancer is the first sign of summer, you know, under the tropical system and everything, too. So that's interesting that the first sign of summer you associate with the sun, obviously, is ruled by the moon. Um, But, yeah, man, we can hear your audio now. Yeah, can you guys hear it? Because I made this clip when, obviously, Mario was on Illuminati Confirmed. So check that out because that was a really good episode. And I made this clip because... I gotta feel passionate like, about Elon. it. I, I think that the I think there's <laughs> I think the chariot card is so crucial, especially and I hate to say it, but the Crowley deck, the way yeah. it, he's the full metal alchemist, and that's what I think that they're hinting at, where that that orb he's got in the middle, he's literally like birthing reality <laughs> or something. Or like, he's got know. the think, metal armor on too. That's, yeah, it's a full metal. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it. Transformers is all about, right? They got like the armor, and they literally, and when they make the movies, they they literally film a fictional thing on a, a, a factual highway or whatever, and that's like what they're known for like if they say that they're at the washington bridge or whatever bridge they're there you know a lot of places they go to sets or they do but transformers when they film they film on site at the actual place so again i think it's uh they're mirroring realities and and transmuting fiction into reality that's i, I fucking love that type of, of interdimensional talk <laughs> it, it's part of the alchemical process they they were really at egypt they were really at jordan they really went to these places to film these movies and you would think like they're literally cgi animating these transformers you don't think that they could cgi animate the pyramids in the background or the sphinx in the background or the doors at petra the portals if you will right the gateways Mm -hmm. at petra no they actually had to go there because i think it's about the the process it's you need to have you know the actual thing that you can't synthesize that was one of the things that the alchemists of ancient of, of ancient times were kind of looked down upon because they wanted to emulate nature they wanted to emulate what god had already created some were proud of it some weren't but it's about using the authentic thing using the piece that the creator already made that we know is perfect instead of trying to substitute it for your own. And again, I think that's the marrying of realities as above, so below. Yeah, buddy. Let me riff on that real quick. These are crucial points, man. And I know I've said this before. You guys have heard me, but we've got to bring them together right now. It's crucial. They're, They're wedding reality and fiction. They're weaving like a stitch work of reality and fiction together. And this goes back to the Smith-Munt Modernization Act of 2012. They reinvigorated, they uh, they edited, there's a new addendum. Obama uh, signed the Smith-Munt Modernization Act. Everybody should go. It's a long read, and they do bury it at the bottom. But the fact of the matter is they collapsed reality and fiction in 2012. And so when people talk about the Mayan calendar said that the world was going to end in 2012, nothing happened. Uh, wrong. It's a whole new day. They have totally collapsed reality and fiction. And what you thought was private and what you thought was public, well, now they got private partner, private public partnerships and stakeholder capitalism. They have totally collapsed those two old pillars, and it was by design. Um, And that's actually something that uh, uh, Scientology is all about. They use the lie detector test to convince people of all kinds of fictional things all kinds of fictional things. But if you get into Scientology, you'll realize that they uh, require the collapsing of your ability to determine uh, right from wrong, truth from lies, 
That's part of the mind control. And Smith Modernization Act, as far as I'm concerned, basically turned everybody into Scientologists after that. And then one more fact is I do believe that the, the reason that the Crowley deck is so important is because Lady Frida Harris is the artist who made it and her genealogy dissipates into obscurity in India and also in Jamaica. And right now we have Kamala Harris is in position. And where does her genealogy come from? Jamaica and India. And I can't quite make the full connection. And I think it's obscured on purpose. It's occulted on purpose. But there is grounds to believe that Lady Frida Harris and Kamala Harris are, uh, are tied in very, very closely knit. And Hera is the goddess of the moon. Uh, so we're talking about the cancer card. And you mentioned that it has that moon aspect under the throne there. It's an occulted Hera. And I really want to take Hall's interpretation of the chariot card as the one. And the reason for that, because this dude was initiated into all these mystery schools and he true, I believe he truly recognized the symbolism for what it is. And like, it's so different, right? On top of everything, it's a woman, right? which is, is, is interesting. He picked a woman. Right. And... Cause Hera was, she was trapped in the throne by Hephaestus. Mm. Uh, so, uh, that is that is very important that it's a woman. Well, I'm saying it's a woman. It might she might it might be androgynous. Who knows? Because that's another thing about alchemy. Once you create the magnum opus, and it makes me think of the of the story where Falconelli shows up as a cross dresser <laughs> to, to one of his <laughs> disciples, and it's like looked eerily familiar. It was Falconelli dressed up as a woman <laughs> like, so again this the the part the part of the magnum opus is right becoming androgynous becoming a a being outside of reality in order to be able to affect reality and and become a divine alchemist and that's where the the term watcher comes from where the angels are watching the great alchemists at work transmute reality. They're watching, they're observing. And it goes back to the Ophiuchus where he is being observed, but at the same time, he becomes the observer. So here we have this mirroring, back to the mirroring, where Ophiuchus is there meditating until he becomes the observer. You know what I'm saying? So it's beautiful. But I really like Manly P. Hall because I think that he understood symbolism on a whole new level but also i mean crowley was initiated too so i can't say that he wasn't oh you know what uh juan i don't know i don't know if you were with us when we had this realization but manly p hall's initials have been supercharged by the virtue of the fact that they are infused by our limitations on how fast we can drive how many mphs <laughs> where was i going sir officer how many miles per hour over the speed limit how many manly p halls over the speed limit was i going i'm gonna pull that one next to me like what the fuck are you talking about sir like are you on are you are you on drugs right now are you driving under the influence and I'm, it's gonna i'm gonna get a dui because i was talking about <laughs> mph because it's like it makes you think of how many miles per hour 
the chariot was going. Was it going? Exactly. You got it, buddy. You got it. See, it is. It's one big club, man. And a lot of people are still in denial of that fact. So does she have another specter or something? Scepter. Scepter, scepter. Oh, scepter, by the way, is a seven. Sept. Absolutely, yep. Yeah, oh, you yeah. have the the big dipper and small dipper, the 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 or some major and minor symbolism there as well. And these sphinxes have some tig old biddies in this one, so Oh yeah, dude. I, I can appreciate Hall could appreciate a good set of knockers like Nancy Pelosi's. Nancy Pelosi's got the milkers, bro. Got the got the milkers, boy. Whew. I'd have some fun with those. But any closing thoughts? You want to add anything else? Did we miss anything? I think this went fucking great. And this is just from from one card. I mean, we did two hours yeah. on just one card. And I'm sure we could keep going. It's getting late I, here on the East Coast, though. So I, I got a few I sent to you, Juan. If you could pull them up for me, it'd be much easier because I'm on my phone here. And I'll try to be quick, just kind of kind of streamlining through some of what we covered in the past. But just go like uh, from the most recent that I sent you, like the one on Michigan. I think you might have seen this, Mario, but this is just so uh, gratifying to me. Uh, just kind of confirming that not only is, uh, you know, the chariot – uh, in cancer, it belongs in the station of uh, of the, basically the uh, the Eastern Standard Time Zone is like my uh, that's my solstice line, and I move over from there. And then look at Michigan is a big crab's claw. <laughs> I was in Chicago too, <laughs> right? That's awesome, man. Is that yeah. where Chicago is? There is that Ohio? I don't even know. Oh, you're just a few degrees over. Uh, Chicago's at the bottom of uh, Lake Michigan in the corner there, so oh, it's retarded. just a few degrees away. Yeah, almost, almost got it, almost got it. This yep. is classic slick dissident, dude. <laughs> <laughs> through and through, I love it though. Oh, here yeah, we go. That, oh. that one got me, man. Some of these I freak cool. my, I, I totally freak myself out. But think about even a charioteer needs gloves. You know, needs to wear gloves. To, to hold the reins. So even in that aspect, having Michigan being a gloved hand is also uh, incredibly appropriate. But yeah, there's Detroit, the the uh, Motor City, and even uh, the Indy 500. It's got the Lions, Detroit Lions. Right. It's right. just like yep. just like the Sphinx in front of the chariot. Interesting. Totally, totally. The Lion is very appropriate to bring up right now. Um, you know, they, some people have said that the Demiurge is well-placed or is born between Cancer and Leo. Leo Ooh. is obviously the lion. The uh, royal insignia of the UK basically always has a unicorn and a lion right. uh, on opposite sides of the seal or the shield or whatever. And uh, there's a lot of good reason to believe that unicorns uh, very much correspond with Cancer symbolism. I made right. a video about that. Yeah. So this one is... all the way down, I said. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, this this is gonna. Uh, it's it's good that we're getting this cherry card out of the way before our Star Wars because we could totally just get caught up on this. It's just great that we're doing. I feel like releasing this next guy. week, bro. I think this is how how great I want. I really enjoy. Yeah, this. yeah, for sure. So yeah, so Gurchev uh, asserts that the Enneagram comes from these uh, beekeeper Sufis, and in the constellation of Cancer, there is this uh, the beehive nebula. And so I put the Enneagram on here uh, uh, for so many reasons, but we have four sphinxes on the bottom. We have four posts around him, and he is at the top and in the center. 
So that's four plus four plus one gives you the nine of the Enneagram. Mm. So even the standing characters, the upright characters of the card encode the nine, uh, not uh, as well as the fact that the whole thing is coated in golden honey or oil, this sacred anointing. Um, so uh, one of my earliest weaves way back in the day, I mean, this might have been what made me get off my ass to start my channel, was realizing that In God We Trust has always been an anagram for Tower G in Dust. <laughs> oh, my God. What the fuck, and bro? So, wow. And so when you take G, you can dismantle it uh, in uh, Gamatria two different ways. You can go straight up with a seven which is seven is the chariot card equals G, mm -hmm. or you can go with the 16 equals uh, seven and the 16th card, which is the letter P the 16th card is the tower card. And when mm -hmm. you take a chariot and you take a tower and you bring them together, you get nine eleven, where mm -hmm. tower G was turned to dust. And now just to even bring the spell further back into your childhood, if it wasn't enough that every dollar bill you've ever circulated or put your louche into has prophesized 9-11 all along, mm -hmm. think about what Pavlovian sound did your school use to program you to stop thinking, change the subject, and move on? Was it a bell ding or was it the word building? Does the word building program you to stop thinking, change the subject, and move along? And does it do it to every single person who went through a Prussian education system? And by the way, I believe Pavlov was Prussian. Mm. Or he, if not, he was a cornerstone to the Prussian system of education. Sure. So, so I just want to point out to people that this spell goes so far back. It goes so far back. And it's been in play. It's been part of the plan. They knew that Rome was going to collapse. Uh, and it's got a uh, about a 248-year life expectancy. That is the cycle of Pluto. And Pluto has returned from the founding of this nation in February, I think February 20th of 2022. So that's a whole lot of twos. Very magical numbers with the Build Back Better. Uh, and Pluto has returned. And so... This is a this was a realization I think I had this morning or maybe yesterday morning uh, was just bringing uh, and this is a whole episode in and of itself. But essentially that all of the elements of the quadrivium are intrinsic to the Enneagram. So uh, the uh, the quadrivium is harmony, arithmetic, geometry and astronomy. And I believe that the harmony, arithmetic, and geometry are uh, openly proliferated. And I believe astronomy is the missing key. It's the missing uh, aspect that a lot of people don't have is the astronomy. And so if you take the elemental values of harmony, astronomy, and geometry, you're going to get the land, the air, and the water. That's the L-A-W. That's the three gifts that the wise men brought to the birth of the Christ. That's the frankincense, the gold, and the myrrh. Those are elementally the three obvious trine aspects of the Enneagram. The missing aspect of the gifts, the one thing that they didn't bring as a gift is the stars. They couldn't bring the stars down. You got to learn those yourself. You got to get your astrological mind map 
put together, and then you'll have the keys to the universe at hand. So I just thought I would bring all that alchemy together and just point out the power of this Enneagram is blowing my mind, and it's really hard to uh, sit still sometimes because <laughs> uh, I feel like uh, I feel like um, uh, eventually I got to get over this Enneagram phase, Juan. Like once we do the Star Wars thing, I'm just going to shut the fuck up because <laughs> because I want to move on uh, to other it's, things. It's fine, dude. I talk about the fucking homunculus every three seconds, so it's... I know I, I feel like a one hit wonder. I can't wait to be done. Like the with other it, day, but... <laughs> I was I was on an episode. I forgot where I was, and I was on Exertus's show, on his YouTube show, and. He kept, he kept bringing up homunculus, but I was just like trying to hold my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to bring it up. And I survived like three hours, I think, without bringing up homunculus. And people in the chat were like, look at the homunculus, man. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to fucking say it. You can't make me say it. So here we are. This was this was great. That's I think, hilarious. Dude. I think we should, dare I say, do the entire, that'd be a lot of episodes. I think we could probably start a whole podcast just on the tarot itself like oh yeah symbolism. <laughs> and i do have a couple things i want to get off my chest real quick i'll, I'll yeah. make this fast you know uh, but one of the things i'm gonna share my screen and great stuff gabe by the way oh. i can't wait to hear more about the enneagram stuff yeah but uh, we did a amazing. whole three hours on it the other day so oh, yeah, sweet, sweet. plenty of enneagram we went big all right so once again the crowley card here if you guys can see it you know the number four as we've been talking about is really, really important um, with this card, with the whole energetic quality of the chariot and how it relates to cancer. You know, I mentioned the fact that cancer is the faintest, dimmest constellation. And so there have been many interpretations of what animal is appropriate um, to correspond with cancer. Right. And one of them, as I said earlier too, is the beetle that the Egyptians saw a scarab beetle. And it kind of tripped me out. And this, I figured this out years ago and I'm just riffing here, you know, I'm just observing, but I'm like, okay, cancer is the beetle. The number four is super significant. Also to uh, the symbol for Jupiter looks like a number four, right? And that is exalted within cancer. And so it got me thinking about the beetles and how the beetles are the fab four, right <laughs> and it in 10 years they changed so much they changed pop culture forever right they went from bowl cuts which kind of reminds me of a bowl or a chalice a cup the craters of the moon whatever the holy and then grail they went, it, <laughs> yep then they went into technicolor and basically people don't realize that their whole career from album to album first album to last album was 10 years so they shapeshifted and they changed a lot. They, they were transformed. Alchemist. Yeah, dude. And they were totally initiated. 100%. You know? And there's a lot of crazy stuff going on um, with the Beatles that we could talk about. But it just makes me wonder, is, is there a cancer correspondence with the Beatles? Once again, it once being referred to as a Beatle and the Fab Four, the four oh uh, pillars, the God. four stacks, the yes. four uh, statues down here. And then the kicker for me was studying the Rider weight card. I'm like, there's a white square on the chest of the charioteer, which kind of looks like the white album. If if you know what yeah. that looks like. Yeah. Which oh, that's the know, one that dude. drove the Manson murders. It was the white yeah. album after they had come back from learning transcendental meditation. 
right? Yeah. In India or some other place. And the dung beetle, to bring it full circle, they relate that to the whole homunculus thing because they see the dung beetle literally birthing life from shit, from dung. So from totally. putrefaction comes forth life. So they're like, if this beetle can bring forth life from literal shit, that's why alchemists maybe perhaps are mixing their, their excrement and all these things inside these elixirs, trying to find that philosopher's stone because mm -hmm. this beetle could do it from literal shit. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got it, man. It's also, it's an acid tab. Yeah. <laughs> nice. We should dude. make tarot acid tabs, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those would be great. You want to be uh, the charioteer today, or you want to be the the tower card? What kind of trip do you want to do? You want to take today? I think we should do that. Right. right. So okay. Just thought I would throw that out there because I, I've never actually said that online or whatever. But uh, you yeah, know, whenever you're dealing with four of anything, yeah. you can probably bet that there's going to be a, a four elemental correspondence well, going on. There. That's one right. of the things I wanted to talk to the guest that we we're going to have on today. Because he talks about that, about using your astrological presence to wear it as some sort of talisman to portray this energy outwards. It's 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 mind blowing, dude. Like I, when I learned about that, I was like, "What did you just say to me, bro? Like, what do you want?" So I want I wanted to get into that that type of thing and familiar nice. and all that stuff. But we'll do that. We'll do that soon. Nice. So, I love that, uh, Mario. Thanks for bringing the Jupiter together. I did not know the Jupiter corresponded with it. That is so powerful for me. And then, yeah. like you were like you were saying, the four, which looks like the shape of Jupiter, the symbol for Jupiter looks like a four. Uh, yeah. The four, uh, you know, it's like the four horsemen. You know, the uh, the beetles, because exactly. they it. initiated everybody with that beetle, uh, Kepri beetle aspect. And then the one plus two plus three plus four equals ten, and ten is the element of Jupiter. So nice. Yep. Exactly. It's so complete. Yep. It's absolutely so complete. You got it, dude, for sure. And then one uh, one last thing, because this will come up please. in the Star Wars thing, but I just got to bring it out. Uh, Barack Obama, Barack in reverse is Karab. And, <laughs> and, he, and his birthday, 8-4, in sidereal, is cancer. He is a cancer. And he was also the, uh, the president of the uh, Harvard Law Review. So that's a scribe. He was the mm. Grand Poobah of the Scarabs, the scribes, the writers. Ooh. Those, Yes. So he was uh, driving that vehicle of, of communication uh, before he became El, El uh, Commandeer and Cheat. Commandeer and, and Cheat. cheat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, dude. Good stuff. Um, and then the last thing I just wanted to point out is Royal Arch symbolism and how it relates to everything pretty much that we've already been talking about. Nice. So here you see George Washington in his Freemasonic regalia, right? He's surrounded where, by these pillars. Is the compass pointing at his phallus? Is that where that's supposed to be pointing towards? <laughs> right? That is a good question, man. Back yeah, to the yeah. navel or the navel, perhaps? Yeah, 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 totally. No, that's a great question. Right. Um, so here you see this is a famous painting, right? We got the G seventh letter number seven of the alphabet uh we've got the royal arch here very symbolic of the firmament uh as we've seen in the card and obviously the arch is connected to the pillars very close 
symbolically to the four pillars in the card, right? And then also they're making it known by having the stars of the American flag over the top of this archway, right? Mm. Um, and then you also have the, um, not the capstone. Um, is it the capstone, right? Or no? Keystone. Keystone, keystone thank keystone, you. Yeah. Yep, so you have the keystone right here. And when you look at other versions of this artwork, it's really interesting. The Royal Arch, the keystone has a six nine in it for cancer, right? Yeah, buddy. And then right underneath you have the seven stars, right? We're dealing with number seven in the chariot card. And so um, then you've got pretty traditional symbolism all throughout, right? Well, basically the whole deal is that the keystone literally is cancer and sometimes they actually show this keystone uh with hebrew letters and the top hebrew letter is cheth which corresponds <laughs> with the chariot card right and so the whole idea is that this keystone when removed allows light to come through from the heavens and to me symbolically also represents the ability to exit out of here as well and so this comes from a freemasonic magazine um as does this graphic right here and so uh this is the spring equinox summer solstice and then the fall equinox and then down below you see capricorn right mm-hmm. um and so when you're dealing with this triple tau cross um that's what they're referring to that the upper cross right here is symbolic of uh the keystone of cancer uh which allows when removed the light to come through and as i was saying earlier the hermetic title for the cancer card for the cherry card excuse me is the lord the tr- the lord of the triumph of light basically and so all of this stuff is connected with the cancer card which is why i made a video about it during cancer and so i want to point out in that particular picture right now you got the two balls in the back so what does that symbolize <laughs> oh these two right here you got the two balls <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. in the back there yeah there you go and Washington, balls and a cane. yeah, Washington is the the phallus, and then you got the G spot <laughs> hidden right up in there, bro. <laughs> there you go, dude. You uh, crack that code, man. Yeah, dude. So that's anyway, what it's all about. That's what nice. I got, dudes. Nice. Right on. Damn, guys. Cool, man. This we, was fun. We crushed it. This is a visual heavy episode. So if you're catching this on the RSS feed, consider going over to the YouTube or Rockfin version, or even Patreon version and getting the video on there because this this is really great guys i think we should do this more often i like this group and yeah make sure to check me out on social media at the one-on-one podcast make sure to check out the occultist monday should i check out the comic book the chosen juan versus the saturnian cube by got the paranoid american the freemason paranoid american right there you go Find them on there. You guys want to plug your stuff so people can find you? Yeah, for sure. So once again, symbolicstudies.com. If you're interested in a tarot reading or a study session, some people have been hitting me up for some pretty interesting things. Dream analysis. Uh, people have sent me their artwork to review, which has been cool. People have wanted uh, book recommendations, things like that. Um, just reach out. But this was a great time. I have, as usual with these shows, a page full of notes of things to follow up with. So you guys are brilliant. Um, really appreciate your guys' input with everything. Yeah, for sure. Likewise, Mario. Big time. This was great. I got all kinds of fun notes. 
so yeah, um, slick uh, slick distance. My YouTube channel. I get down with weaving spiders webs uh, Saturday nights. Uh, also on Wednesday nights they do the flow state thing. Sometimes uh, we took a week off last week, um, and then I'm with Chance Garten on uh, Rockfin. Uh, it's a good place to catch us. And I'm going to go ahead and pimp uh, Carla's wares. I just got Carla's book today in the nice. mail. This is She Who Hunts by uh, Carla Ionescu. Mm-hmm. I'm really bad with her name. Ionescu? Yeah, yeah, Ionescu. Yeah. She got her PhD in Greek mythology. And she and uh, Juan and I did a wonderful show last week. I'm looking forward to that one coming out where uh, I tried very hard to convince her that the Greek pantheon is alive and well in our psychological relationship to the Enneagram and that it's probably being venerated through uh, certain characters on the world stage who are embodying the Greek pantheon. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that even the dynamics of the Enneagram and the way that the connections are made are reenacted ceremoniously at specific times of the year as as the planets go through their dynamics and uh, certain characters on the world stage act a fool and we think it's all chaos, but I'm quite sure it's very orderly. I think uh, chaos magic is a smokescreen. I think there is powerful order behind these signs and symbols. And uh, the Enneagram seems to be a keystone uh, in its own right. So there's all that. Awesome, man. That'll be out soon. This this will definitely be out before that because I really enjoyed this episode. And I want to put it out ASAP. But if you want to get exclusive early access, again, make sure to check out the Patreon. Patreon.com slash the one-on-one podcast. And... Guys, I really enjoyed this. This was amazing. This was great. And I'm looking forward to the next one. What? what maybe we can, I don't know. I mean, this kind of sort of stuff. We can't plan when we're going to get together again, right? I got uh, I got one. I got one. I got all one. All right. What, what are we going to talk about? Let's do the Aeon card. Let's do Crowley's Aeon card. So another tarot. Uh, I'll, check, I'll check that one out because I don't, I don't yeah. think I've seen Aeon. All right. It is, it is unique. Uh, it would be it the... Is. It would be uh, the judgment card, wouldn't you say, Mario, in other decks? Judge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, it, it would be the judgment card, which in Crowley's, it was called the Aeon card. And I'm quite sure that that's, uh, I think that's old Greta Thunberg <laughs> is the is the new Aeon. Right. And uh, and we could make a real strong case. Oh, to, the one to that, you, that, out. that you pulled up. Okay, now I don't know which one you're talking about. Awesome. Yeah, we'll do that one next. All uh, right. Because fuck Crowley, but whatever. That's right. And fuck yeah. global warming, too. this guy's angry at global warming for no reason fuck that alright guys well uh, thank you for everyone who tuned in this is really awesome catch you guys on the other side